Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king. Methanol is aromatic and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Tom Baker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Inside Groove Super Modified Podcast. This is episode 103. That's 103. And so, therefore, when we get to our What's in a Number segment later on, we will be looking at the significance of the number 03 in Super Modified history, particularly at the Oswego Speedway. It has some, it's kind of a sneaky little number, um, but I don't, I don't know how much depth there really is to this. I suspect uh, that all of you will uh, be able to help me with that because you'll probably find some that I miss, uh, but that's usual. So <laughs> my name is Tom Baker. It's good to be back. We were off uh, for a week or so, so we've got a couple of weeks of uh, Swing of Speedway action to review, and we will do that with Camden Proud in just a little bit. Uh, also, some news that has come to light um, regarding some uh, car owner, driver sort of things that uh, we'll get to in that segment as well. And of course, we will uh, continue our tour through the 1976 Port City debacle. <laughs> um, this is, again, if you have not... Uh, listen to the last couple of episodes. We started this as a basically mini series. Um, the 1976 Port City took a number of weeks to get in and went through a lot of. Uh, it was just a crazy, a crazy time. We'll just put it like that. We, we uh, on episode 101, we actually kind of started the 76 season with the opening program and some changes that were that were made at the track uh, for that season, which was the bicentennial season um, in terms of uh, obviously uh, our bicentennial year in the country. Um, and it just was a glorious season of racing. But this Port City was the opening day race or it was supposed to be. Uh, but this was the race that just did not want to happen. And so the uh, then on episode 102, a couple of weeks ago, we uh, talked about the first rain out and the debacle over the rain date having to be pushed back a week. So as we continue the story on this show, we sort of flash back, but then forward in time from May 16th of 1976 to May the 30th of 1976. And we're making progress, folks. We have a race to tell you about, but not all of one. <laughs> so we'll get to that in a little bit uh, as well. Um, I don't normally bring other forms of racing into this show that are not um, related to anything that happens at Oswego Speedway or at least, uh, you know, super modifieds or, or something that's close to that. <laughs> but sometimes the material just writes itself and I just can't, it, I just can't help, help it. it. This is, this is, this is gold. Okay. Um, so a, a lot of us are Formula One fans, right? Um, 
So this gem comes from uh, Instagram on July the 7th, and it is from the account um, F1 Interviews on Instagram. So if you're on Instagram, go to the at symbol F period one interviews, F period, the number one interviews. Okay. And this is from, <laughs> from July 7th. There's a picture of... Uh, Helmet Marco uh, from Red Bull. And he's, uh, the quote in the picture is, that says this, thank God our Max is calm, referring to Max Verstappen. Our problem child is Tsunoda. So this is referencing Yuki Tsunoda, who is uh, um, part of that program. So, so... <laughs> I okay, get ready, folks. Uh, here it is. This is the quote from Marco, and this is to service SERVUS TV, uh, which is not an American uh, network, obviously. Here we go. Thank God our Max is calm, Marco told Service TV. <laughs> our problem child is Sunoda. According to Marco, the 22-year-old driver explodes on the radio time and time again. That's why it's time to get him to work with a psychologist, Red Bull has decided. Again, another quote from Helmet Marco. We, <laughs> we specially organized a kind of psychologist to work with him because he kept swearing in the corners. So that inhibits the performance. Close quote. Swearing in the corners. For this, we must bring in a psychologist. <laughs> Next on Dr. Phil. Can you imagine if we sent Joey Payne over there for a few races? <laughs> Swearing in the corners, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, the humanity. We can't have that. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. If these people, I mean, just, just, I can't even. We'll be, we'll be back with more of the Inside Groove show right after this. Stay with us. Hey, here's a little fish tale for you. It's about a place named Skip's Fish Fry. Skip's Fish Fry is located at 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. They're open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. So don't call them on Sunday or Monday. They're gone fishing. They are open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. They serve a variety of great fish, burgers, Hoffman hot dogs, conies, lobster, soup, salad. They even have cheesecake if you feel like some delicious dessert. I love their haddock pieces. That's one of my favorites. Uh, and they just have great food. It is the best fish in the Port City. I'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor of the show. It is one of the first places that I go to eat every time I'm in town. So call Skip's Fish Fry or go visit them on their website at skipsfishfry.com. And by the way, you can order online and just go pick it up. It's a great way to go ahead and take care of the not-so-fun part before you get there. And then when you get there, just pick up your food, bring it home, and enjoy. Skip's Fish Fry, 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. Go visit them. 
Welcome back to The Groove, and we have Camden Proud with us now. Camden, fresh off a uh, trip to New York City, is back in uh, O-Town and ready for a big weekend of racing this weekend that we'll get to here in a bit. But uh, we've got a couple of weeks worth of past racing to unpack since uh, we were off last week. Um so I want to go back, Camden, and talk a little bit about 4th of July. First of all, um, I, I think we've all been waiting all year long for Dave Schillick Jr. to finally win a feature. And he's just had one of those years where it, it everything that could go wrong has. And finally, when it didn't, he ended up winning the race. And, you know, it was a, a relatively comfortable win though it certainly wasn't a dominant win uh but it it definitely helps when you start up front yeah that helps we were looking at the handicap that week before the races and obviously knew that with all the bad luck he had had she was going to be out in front and and really tough and i still don't think they have the car quite where they want it yet no i don't either definitely good enough to to get the win yeah, I was the 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 driver that surprised me the most in that race was Allison Slowed. Um and you know, she is in and again, I think you know, it's it's kind of funny hearing, you know, some of the an- announcing and you know, the idea that she changed from blue to black. She didn't really change from blue to black as far as I know, she changed cars. Yeah, she, she she's been driving the car that was already black, uh which is Otto Sitterly's old uh i say old um Aldo Sinnerly's car that he was always driving black betty and boy she is starting to really get comfortable in that car she had a nice second place run and i i have to wonder if at the end she wasn't just about as fast as uh dave was she was quick at the end yeah and she kind of made a bid to the inside for yeah. for the lead on that restart and i think actually kind of surprised Schulich, and then he got going and and was able to at least open up some distance between himself and Allison. But she had some problems with the car. I think it was an electrical issue in the heat race and didn't even run the heat, took a few warm-up laps before the feature to make sure it was good and started way back in 10th. And, yeah, she passed everybody except you, like, pretty much. Uh, yeah. A lot of a lot of really uh, – she was kind of a car to watch, and <laughs> there was some close calls when when she passed Gozik, I thought they were both going to end up in the fence, but she she drove a great race, and um, that was that was kind of the show. That was exciting to watch. Yeah, it really was, and you know, I feel like she just is one of those drivers that you just know before the end of the season is going to get one, um, and certainly we know the car can. Um, but that was a a good race for her. Logan Ravals had a a, a good finish for third Joe Gozik fourth Brandon Bellinger ended up fifth you know Brandon's just been hanging around all year long um if he's not winning he's in the in the mix and uh he's having a really nice season and you know again I think um there are a lot of fast cars I think it's been a year of you know just a lot of turmoil for a lot of guys um you know they get involved in wrecks or you blow a motor you you know you just things that slow you down basically or keep you from finishing jeff abel ended up seventh but you know again we know jeff's better than that um he just had a um an issue i think i don't know if it's what did it end up being a fuel issue or something i can't remember but so yeah yeah he had you know um so it just was, again, another one of those crazy races where you start, you know, 12 or 13 cars and 
you know, and, and a bunch have problems. So if we can keep everybody running. I mean, Jack Patrick was having the race of his life and ended up, you know, um, ended up uh, blowing a motor. Um, you know, Ryan Locke again. I mean, that, that poor kid. Uh, I feel so bad for him. Nathan Bird had an issue uh with Mike Muldoon's car. Um, I don't know if his car issue, but he ended up in the fence is what I'm saying. So, um, you know, Danny Connors, I mean, you look at, look at this field and, and they're all really good cars. You, you ended up 11th. What you had some sort of an issue too, right? Wasn't that the race you had the, had the issue? Yeah, we, we had an electrical issue with, with the mag That's and right. the kill switch. We were going to start fourth and had a really good heat race, a lot of speed and yes, you went did. to go out for the feature and did not start. Ugh, man, you turned a lot of heads in that heat race, and I think you you proved uh, what you can what you can do and what you can be with uh, with that car that you got. And your time will come. Uh, that was a great run. Um, so you know, again, uh, good run for for the shoe uh, shoe two, and um, you know, definitely a, a nice run for Ray Vals to finish in third uh, as well. And I think uh, yeah, he ended up as the up and comer for that one. Um, so, uh, what else do we have on the fourth? I'm trying to remember. Well, the, we had the SBS and the 350. Yeah. Where is the, sport yeah, mods, but that that's right. It was, yeah, that's what thing. was throwing me off. The sport mod show was supposed to be on the fourth and it got canceled. That's right. So yeah. let's talk about, uh, the other, uh, shows on the fourth, because again, just, um, some really good racing in both of those divisions. And it has been all year long. It really has been. Yeah, the, the SBS and the 350 classes have come along really well. The 350 class is growing really fast now. We're getting a few more cars. And uh, just this past week, I think, had the highest car count for a regular season race that we've ever had. So, yeah. Um, and a lot of those, actually, not a lot, all of those cars were local. So, um, except one, John Leonard came out from New England. So, uh, good things happening in, in both classes. And then back on the second, again, uh, Danny Kay's just continued his his dominance in, in the SBS and that's yeah. kind of the story, at least at the front of the field, but there's also a lot of good stories to keep track of within, within the race and, and a lot of rookies and second year drivers to keep an eye on. Well, you know, Danny, uh, Danny, just it, you, you get into a zone sometimes and you just can't do anything wrong. And I feel like that's where Danny K and that whole team are right now. They're right in the pocket They're that they're, they're finishing races. They're fast every week. And Danny's Danny's not, you know, taking unnecessary chances. He's he's just, you know, he's taking taking the moves that he gets. And um, you know, you and and I, I watch a guy like Andrew Shartner, and we know Andrew's quick and we know he can be quick. And it's and it's it's like one of these weeks, but he you know, Danny's the guy everybody's watching right now, and it's really been an amazing run for him, really, over the last two seasons. Um with that team and it makes me it makes me really anxious for them to get their 350 car out because if they can have anywhere near the the level of success with that that they're having with the SBS car then boy he's going to add a real uh you know another uh real competitive car to the field and and make it even more fun to watch Right, I agree, and and Dan has proven in his career that he can jump in pretty much anything and be fast and and win and compete at the front. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how they're doing in the 350. Last I heard, it might not be this year. Oh, um, there's a lot going on with 
Steve Flack and, and family there. His, his dad's been in the hospital for oh, a while. Sorry so, to hear that. Um, that's kind of taken top priority, of course. And I think they don't even have a motor for the, the 350 yet. So it may not be out mm. for, for classic. It might turn into a, a 2023 type thing. But nonetheless, yeah, he's he's won four out of five in, in the SBS. Eight wins in the last two seasons, which is pretty incredible. And um, I know he's looking forward to moving up and, and taking the next step when whenever everything comes together and they get the chance man um so let's talk about uh, give us the the rundown for the rest of that <clears throat> that feature event excuse me yeah finishing second was jesse barrett and it was nice to see him come out and he's only been here a few times this year but uh another former feature winner um and they just purchased a crate for that car at the end of last season yes and of course, didn't have one after they made the switch. And nice to have another former feature winner back there. He's been very competitive in a couple of times that, that he has run. So a seventh, a second for him. Noah Ratcliffe on the podium again with a third. Andrew Shartner was fourth. Greg O'Connor was fifth. And finishing sixth was Ryan Gunther, who I really wanted to give a shout-out to. He had a super impressive run he did. Uh, two weeks ago. Did a great job. Actually looked like a veteran and um, – Made some nice passes, held off DJ Schumann, who's who's kind of run away with the rookie of the year race so far, been really strong. And it was it was a good experience, I think, for Ryan to compete with all those guys at the front. And darn near got his first top five, but held his own there for a while coming home with a sixth place finish. So good for Ryan. Uh, DJ in the sixty two was seventh. Eighth to seventy two, Drew Prascuzzi, ninth to twenty four, Tony De Stevens, tenth to sixty six, Derek Hilton, eleventh to forty nine, Josh Wallace. 12th, the 89, Tony Pisa. 13th, the double zero, Jude Parker. 14th, the 01, Greg Richardson. 15th, the two, Jordan Sullivan. 16th, the 04, Rob Worth. 17th, the nine, Griffin Miller. 18th, the 14, Mark Denny. 19th, the 27, John Carson. And 20th, the 77, Cameron Rowe. And that was his first time out this year. Yep. Was fast in his heat race, but had some some issues in the feature. Cameron did told me he's he's planning to race the rest of the year now. So that's good news also. Good. That's uh, yeah, that'll definitely uh, Cameron's a great driver and, and he'll be a, a really stout addition to an already stout field of cars um, and really got to, again, give a shout out to Noah Ratcliffe. That young man, when he finally breaks through and gets a win, I feel like he's going to get three if there's enough left in the season for him to do it. But he has just done everything but uh, this year and man, that kid can drive. It's so much fun to watch those guys at the front of the field. Again, it's not like, you know, it's it's not like Danny is the only quality car in the field, but that right. team, I think the combination of that team and his driving, his approach to driving a race car, um, you know, like I said, you just have those 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 times in, in, in your racing life when you're kind of in the zone and everything's going right for them right now. And uh, boy, he is he is definitely the one to beat in that division. Um, but it's great to see the the level of competition there. And also, um, I think it's interesting that uh, DJ, you know, we had nine rookies to start the season and, and here he is running away with the rookie points already. Um, I think that really speaks volumes for how well he's adapted to the car and what a talent he 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 is, obviously, right? Right. DJ's done really well, and I was honestly surprised, not that he did well, but with all of these rookies in general, most of them have come from dirt racing or yeah. straight from the kart track, and they've really adapted to, to pavement 
extremely quickly. And a lot of them have been around a swiggle a while, but either way to, to get in a, a full size race car for the first time, first time on asphalt, DJ, Drew Pascuzzi, same thing, Ryan Gunther, same yeah. thing. And they're all fast and all competitive. So that's been great. When we had nine rookies, I'll be honest, I'm thinking, oh boy, this this is going to go one of two ways. It's either, they're either going to do really well or it's going to be a crash fest every week. And they, they've all done really well. Yep. And I think we've only had one race where there's been a couple of, of accidents. And, and really, other than that, it's been one caution, I think, in the last feature. So it's the racing's been fantastic. It has. It really has. And a lot of uh, fairly even cars. And, you know, you can't argue with uh, the competition. It's just been a lot of fun to watch that division this year. Now, um, I heard a rumor over the week that um, the DeStevens family might have multiplied by one race car. What do you know about uh, the possibility that uh, the older of the two Joe Gozik cars is now in the hands of the DeStevens family? Anything? I guess that's the case. Yeah, they, they bought the old Gozik car. And we don't know for what or for who or whether it's 350 or big block. Not sure. Um, they won't say. So <laughs> I guess we'll wait and see. <laughs> Gotta love these secrets uh, that, that roll around. It's like, come on, just tell us what you're doing. It's, you know, uh, I know, it. that's, I know it. it's crazy. Uh, so I guess we'll wait and see on that. But um, that that's good for Joe, I think, too, to, to be rid of that car because, you know, obviously frees up capital to put uh, toward his current car and his current racing efforts and um i'm sure much needed uh as well so um now uh joe's got just the one car but uh so now um let's talk about the 350 race from july 2nd because uh that race had one of the strangest endings i've seen to a race in a long time i know it yeah that that was uh I mean, I don't even know what to say. Mike just didn't know the race was over. Yeah, yeah. It's. Um, I mean, we we all sort of we we've kind of made a uh, a mental meme out of the Mark Martin thing that he did in the Bush series years ago, where he you know was running away with a win and pulling on the white flag lap because he thought it was the checkered. Um, and so we've all kind of made that a meme, but we we I don't know that we've ever seen somebody who um, took the checkered and thought the race was still going. And it was just a strange thing for, for Mike. I guess he thought it was a 35-lap race and ended up running into the back of Nathan Bird, who was probably very surprised. <laughs> you know, like, what in the world? Did I just get hit by, you know, the dog hit me? Or what, what's the deal here? Um, you know, and, uh, and ended up, uh, I don't know if I've ever seen a victory lane where you towed a race car in the victory lane with damage. But uh, Mike Bruce um, has invented a lot of ways to create excitement at the Speedway over the years. And I think that was uh, basically, I think that might've topped them all. It it may have. I <laughs> I was just kind of standing there with my hands on my head, like, like what just happened? Um, because he was, he was full bore coming out of four, a complete lap after the checkered had already come out. And I looked at, I think it was my girlfriend, actually. I said, he doesn't know the race is over. And then when he shot to the outside of, of Nathan there, I think he, he just thought that maybe Brian was really close to him, was trying to clear traffic sure, and yeah. just caught a wheel. And, and that was the end of it. He had said afterwards that Otto told him at the beginning of his career, once you hesitate behind a lap car, 
the second place car has already passed you. So that's what he was trying to do. But I, I don't know what happened between the checkered flag, the board, and Chuck saying in the radio that the race is over <laughs> to the outside victory lane. He he must have really been in the zone. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just, uh, again, those are things, um, I mean, you know, you're a driver and that, that is, you. if you're not in the zone, then you're probably not going very fast, right? That's I mean, right. You, you know, yep. you, you're fully absorbed in the moment, you know, and, and not thinking about anything else and for whatever reason he had it in his mind going in i'm sure that it was a 35 lap race and you know just ended up uh ended up in the fence so uh two victory lane the car came on the back of a tow truck and um and then um you know unfortunately his problems continued in tech yeah yeah that you don't want to see that happen to anybody and and he, we saw it with Griffin Miller, and that was really unfortunate. And um, I have a lot of respect for Mike and don't want to see anyone get a win taken away. So he put an explanation on Facebook immediately afterwards and, and just said he was trying to get an advantage with his fuel. He didn't know it was illegal fuel, and it was his mistake. And he owned up to it, and the win ended up going to, to Brian Sobis. Yeah, which was Brian's second win of the year. And and the reason that I, that I bring that up is because it, Brian was it was Brian that was hot on Mike's heels and I think why Mike probably was concentrating so hard on not losing the lead because he knew Brian was there um you know and and uh, my gosh that Barbera team has been so strong this season uh and the 75 car we're going to get to uh a performance by that car when we talk about last week's races in a minute by a driver that just I seemingly came out of nowhere although um, I learned a little bit from Norm McLeod in his interview that'll be coming up shortly here on the program uh, as to, you know, Logan's got more experience than what, you know, what I realized. I thought he came straight out of carts. That wasn't the case. But still, um, the Barbera team's been so strong in that division has probably got about six or seven cars at least now that on any given week can win a feature. And that honestly has made it I, I mean, I look more forward to that race than I think I do either of the other two every week almost at this point because it's just such an exciting class. I do as well. Yeah, and it's really unpredictable too. There's there's not very many cars at all that aren't capable of, of winning on any given week, and yeah. you just don't know what's going to happen. Um, I think it's like the big blocks where pretty much every car can win, and it's really unpredictable. Yeah. And, um Another good win for Brian. He's having a great season and really neat just to see him get super modified wins. I mean, that's been that's been a long time coming. He's been so close with Mike Murphy and then with his own equipment. Yep. And Chase Locke having the season that we all knew he could and, and probably would now first getting the win out of the way a couple of weeks ago. Then again last week, he was there for second back on July 2nd. Um, another good points night for him. Dalton Doyle was third. Vern Lefebvre and Kyle Perry were fourth and fifth. Good top five yes, for them. Yes, great to see that. Yeah, Dave Cliff in sixth. Nathan Bird seventh in his debut. Good run for him. Mike Fowler, that's kind of another storyline there that Kelly Spalding's decided to step out of the 23. I wondered. And, and focus on some work work commitments. And I guess Mike had the opportunity to run back on the second last week. Jason Spalding actually got in the car. Yes. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, Nick Barzi finished ninth. Good to see that car out finally the first time with that car. Yeah, for sure. Um, it was a bare frame and former Clyde Booth built chassis. 
that they have completely redone and actually ran pretty well. He looked smooth the first time, um, and that again last week looked pretty good. So uh, good to see Nick running. Josh Akolik rounded out the top ten. That was the other new car, the former Anthony Lucerto car. Yep. Um, Roger Clark finished in 11th, and then Mike Bruce and Tyler Thompson were credited with 12th and 13th. Okay, so at this point um, now, uh, and of course, uh, just to tie that up, both Mike and Tyler's cars had the same issue. It was a fuel issue on both of them in tech, so both of them to the end of the line. Okay, so now we can fast forward uh, a bit to this past weekend, and I want to go ahead and, and first get through. We'll get to the um, the the big show in a minute, but I want to again talk about uh, the 350 division because Chase Lock got another win, and that that young man. You know, you watch a lot of drivers come into a division, and we know that Chase has had a lot of previous experience in open wheel type cars, um, but his his mental game, the way that he times his moves, the way that he's able, I mean, we watched, I don't remember if it was this past weekend or the race before, but he got out of what surely should have been a trip into the foam with this long slide and save um, that looked like something that Chris Hurley would have done like every lap. Um, but, <laughs> um, but uh, just to watch the way this kid runs that car is pretty amazing. Chase is just, you can tell that he's got the talent that it takes to, you know, to go a long way. Um, and, you know, he's just being very smart every week and it's resulting in, you know, again, he's on the podium almost every race. There's a reason for that. Absolutely. Yeah, he really pretty much has been. And and it's been pretty fun to watch the, the first half of the season points battle between himself and, and Brian Silvis. Yeah. And I'll say right now, I do think Chase is the, the car to beat. And I think everybody knows that. And it's kind of funny still. I, I feel like I'm being redundant, but to watch him get out of the car and he's 16 years old and he's, he's beating people that are twice his age and that have been doing it before he was born. So I it's, know it. it's, it's really impressive and put himself in position for another future win last week. And this was looking for the opportunity he needed. Had caught up to Brian Sobis, got a yellow flag at the halfway point and chose wisely on the restart with the choose rule elected to go inside and was able to pull away from Dalton Doyle and go on to the win. Yeah. And I mean, you just, again, we talk about Danny Kay in the, in the SBS. I think there's an element of the same thing with chase right now in the three fifty class. You're, you're just in that pocket and you know that you're, you're having a great season when perhaps the low point was when you won your first race and jumped up on top of the wing to celebrate and then broke one of the brackets and um, had to fix it and came back out and only finished second in the uh, second race that night. Um, You know, you know that when that's kind of your low point in the season, it's a pretty good season. And and I think that the, the thing I I've been most interested in as far as, uh, you know, observationally is that, I'm not hearing anybody talk about, well, you know, a lot of money, you know, whatever. Nobody's saying any of that with Chase. Like everybody is appreciating Chase for his talent and his humility 
and the results that he's getting and the performance he's putting on every week. Um, and I, that's just, it's just great to see. And again, this class is full of potential stars. And so the fact that chase is able to keep getting these finishes, you know, just speaks a lot to his talent, his ability at such a young age. And, and you just feel like you're, um, you know, you're watching something special kind of developing every week because man, it's, it's amazing, but, uh, it was good to see chase get the win. And I think the other highlight for me and among, you know, many in that race, but the other real highlight where in the world, Logan, Chris, I, I had no idea who he was. And, um, the impression I had was he came straight out of go-karts, which turned out not to be the case. He's had some experience in bigger open wheel cars, which, you know, again, doesn't necessarily make what he did in that car the first time in it any less spectacular, but um, at least it explains it a little better. But my gosh, 16-6, the first time out, goes, wins a heat race, and runs up front in the main, I mean, Logan Chris of Foley basically um Chase won but I feel like in a way Logan stole the show pretty much yeah that that's a perfect way of describing it and again another 16 year old it's yeah it's it's incredible and I found out about Logan racing on Friday morning on the way to Chumon and I called him for an interview and got a write-up out on the website just as quick as I could so everybody could kind of get to know him and and learn about his career and he's raced go-karts at the cartway also won several track championships there a few classics then ran a micro sprint with the ny6a tour his race weed sport paradise 13 wins there and then moved on to a 305 sprint car at can-am this year where i believe he's the points leader and already has two wins in the sprint car including last friday night wow so dirt dirt racing background and has wanted to do a swiggo. His family's been around a swiggo a long time and then jumps in the car Saturday. And I'm thinking, Oh, I don't know how well this is going to go. We'll see what happens. And then literally like lap three, he was 17 two. Yeah. And I'm just like, Holy cow. This yeah. is like, wow. And then went to the top of the charts. And I think his first practice session ever, the second practice, he was third. And then when he ran the 16, six, Roy was in the tower and he couldn't even believe that that was the right time. He's, he's, he's looking at it like, is, is that right? Holy cow, sixteen six, And it was just, wow. I mean, that was remarkable. I don't think I've ever seen somebody get into a car with zero pavement experience, zero Oswego Speedway experience and do that. Well, that was just crazy. Well, here's what, here's what it, if you think about this, okay, so here's Logan and, and, you know, he had his big week. He got chase. You, you've got all the rest of the Oswego cars. You got Sobis. You've had, I mean, Tyler Thompson, obviously, but you know, he's not going to run every week. You, and, 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 and by the way, uh, dear Mike Barbera, just keep Logan in the car. Like, I think you found your guy. Okay. Um, no kidding. You know, like that's it. Just stop changing. Like, just tell him he's got it for the rest of the year. Um, and then if you're, if you're still determined to sell it, make him a good deal on it. So we will lose him. Uh, Cause that's uh but think about this. Now we're doing, we're having shows like we had the last couple of weeks with only a swiggle car is if you can count chase as in the swiggle car now, cause he comes here every week. Um, now think about if say Jeffrey battle 
and Mike Nedishin and some of the other hot dogs from New England that were coming here a year or two ago and beating up on all the locals because we weren't strong enough yet to compete with them. Think about now if you mixed a couple of those guys back into the field, think about what kind of show we'd have then. Oh, I know it. Seriously, yeah. And and Classic is going to be incredible. I think oh. we could have a full field of 24 this year. I think there's a chance we see more of those than we see big block supers, to be honest I with do. you. And yeah, I, 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 do too. I mean, I, I know that's probably going to get me hate mail, but, um, you know, I just call it as I see it. And I think that's the trend. And if I were, if I were a 350 car, boy, I'd be wanting to come here now because it's, it, it's so much more fun. I think for these guys, when you can run against top level competition and you look at those guys from new England and and they come in here now they're not going to have such an easy time of it i mean you know mike bruce has run well i mean you just go down through the list of um the fastest wiggle cars now and you know we we still don't know you know say what the muldoon cars are going to do the rest of the year we had nathan in it i think he's at least i think the plan going into that week was that he was going to run it run those cars a few more times this year i don't know if that's changed but um, saturday is he okay good so car saturday yeah so um you know nathan will just get better and better um you know so the i mean the depth of of competition dalton doyle i mean i hate to even start naming because i'll miss somebody um you know it's just you know sobis has had an incredible year but like i said it's it you keep adding these cars you bring jeffrey battle back now it's not a lock (laughs) <laughs> no pun intended no. you know he's he's got some serious competition now um you know he's not going to just go out and, and and you know blow everybody into the weeds like he was for a little while um and so i'm excited about that class go ahead and read down the uh finishing order for the race from last week yeah first was the 88 chase lock <laughs> there we go am i reading that one <laughs> It's 88 Chase Lock. Second, the 08 Dalton Doyle. Third, the 45 Brian Sobis. Fourth, the 22 Mike Bruce. Fifth, the 75 Logan Christopher. Sixth, the 26 Josh Sokolik. What a debut for well, him. Well, there's I'll another one. Yeah, we didn't even. Yeah. Yeah. Because he, he kind of showed up right before the heat races. Right. The week prior and then was down to 16-7 in the time trials on Saturday. And, and maybe another driver that got where it's like Logan stole the show, kind of overshadowed a little bit, but Josh in his own right was yeah. equally as impressive. They yep. both passed a ton of cars. They both came from deep in the field to finish fifth and sixth, actually battled with each other a little bit, and um, really showed some awesome awesome talent and, and real maturity to get in those cars, their, their first super modified race, really, and to be able to put on the show they both did, I thought was beyond impressive. So. Yep. A good run for Josh also, and looking forward to seeing what he can do the rest of the year. Um, seventh was the 12 of John Leonard. It was nice to see him come out from New England. Eighth was the 50, Dave, Dave Cliff. Ninth was the 20, Kyle Perry. Tenth, the 7, Nick Kenny. Eleventh, the 97, Vern Lefebvre. Twelfth, the 23, Jason Spaulding. Thirteenth, the 31, Nick Barzee. Fourteenth, the 32, Norm McLeod. And fifteenth, the 5, Roger Clark. There you go. So 15 rock solid cars for the most part, uh, probably, you know, 12 of them at least are capable of running in the front. Um, and you know, again, there's still a few more out there now. 
Uh, Norm McLeod, uh, of course, you know, bad news for mm-hmm. for those of us who appreciate the McLeod family. Um, Norm sold the car. Uh, he'll talk about that in, in our interview later on. Um, and uh, again, who bought the car remains a mystery. He did not tell me and, and didn't want to because he hadn't cleared it with the buyer to, to let that out. But uh, he did say it was somebody from Fulton. So mm. <laughs> that narrows it down to what whatever the population of Fulton is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, y'all can start your own rumors if you want. Uh, but uh, he did say that the car will obviously keep racing. And um, he also said something to the effect of um, we may also gain a car out of it. And I don't know what that means, except that maybe the guy who bought that car also had another one or is getting another one. And so maybe there's two cars hmm. in that stable, whoever. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that develops. Uh, but uh, hate to see Norm go. And, you know, even this year we saw, uh, you know, Mark Schultz have a great run in that car when he drove it. And we talked about that in the interview and the Norm himself achieving a lifelong dream of getting into to a car at Oswego and, um, you know, and, and having his chance this past week before he, uh, you know, before he sold it to actually go run and race for a night. And, and honestly, I thought he did a really good job for not racing anything in 20 years. I did too. Yeah, that was pretty cool to see. And now him and his brother both run and they had their success with, with Bobby Holmes. Yes. That was incredible what he did. And, um, it's a shame to, to see them go really a great family. And I was shocked when I saw the car for sale, but it, it sold quickly. And I was not shocked about that. It's a really good race car. Well, Norm has made it clear that he's uh, looking for opportunities to crew. So if, if, uh, you know, anybody who needs help, uh, you know, reach out to him because he's willing to come in and, and lend a hand. He just couldn't, he couldn't financially, he couldn't stay in it as a car owner, but he's certainly willing to uh, come and help out. So, um, you know, that, uh, if you know anybody who's looking for an extra hand, uh, you might want to reach out to him, uh, and, uh, connect them. Or, uh, if you need an extra hand, reach out to him and, and, uh, talk to him. So, um, that's kind of where that is now. Um, we, we still have, uh, the matter of the, uh, the, uh, three fit and not the three fifty, the ISMA type show. um, and I don't know, I, I this show I, from a car count standpoint, I think we know our sweet spot now. I think we're right about 23, which is fine. Um, if that's what it is, that's what it is. And um, again, I thought it turned out to be a really good race. Oh, it was a great race. Yeah. Kind of the battle between the brother-in-laws, I guess. <laughs> um, oh, that's true. What a night yeah. for, for Mike Wardway Jr. <laughs> that's certainly been a long time coming. about that. Uh, Really cool guy, another second-generation winner, another father-son pair to win at Oswego. Track record, heat win on top of it, just the perfect night for, for Clyde Booth and Mike Ordway Jr. and that whole team, and I know it means a lot to Clyde also. They've been trying to get that car right, and they've had a lot of bad luck at Oswego the last few years, so to be able to get the job done there with the 61 back in victory lane, that was that was really neat, and the silver bullet back on top of the track record also. Yeah, that was the other thing that was so amazing to me. Um, I mean, he, he to go out and run a lap, what was it, 14661? Is that what it was? 
fourteen six one one six one one. Yeah. Okay. Um. My gosh. I mean, I. You know, it, it just makes you wonder where where is you know where how much faster can we go and it's also it's kind of scary to to envision going that you know what i mean like that's 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 gotta be over 150 average um and uh my gosh that's that's a fast lap but yeah it was it definitely good clyde's had a lot of um bad luck with his cars in the the wing shows that a swing over the the last number of years so it was good to see uh, that that car finally finished and great to see Mike Ordway Jr. get a win because that added the Ordways to the uh, what I don't know if there's an official name for it, but I've always thought of it as the second generation club or the multi-generation club. Yes. Um, you know, of father son drivers who have both raced at Oswego and won. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I know I was pulling for Mike personally last weekend, and um, it's his, I think, his first win in a couple of years, 2020 Highmiler, I want to say, was oh, the last okay. one. All right. And obviously, we know what, what happens when you put Clyde Booth together with, with any good driver. You're you're going to see speed and, and eventually results. So yep. um, I was really pulling for Mike, and the Victory Lane celebration was was one to remember and and one that I enjoyed kind of being right there for watching and taking some photos and um, just just thrilled for that family and a really cool story for for the Speedway and and something that was really fun to write about on Sunday. Clyde is, um, if you think about Clyde and you look back across his history, now I probably will miss a couple here because I don't, know his whole history in new england as a as a car owner drivers he, he had but i i remember um i believe jeff stevens drove his cars um and uh there were gosh he had i can't remember who was i think ollie silva might have driven for him a bit um i can't remember who was his last driver um before he came to um Oswego with Warren Conium, but um, Dave Thomas, I think, drove. Yeah, Thomas drove for him at Oswego a couple times. Um, but when he came to Oswego in 1980 with Warren Conium, and they basically dominated that year and won the the track championship. Um, if you think about the drivers since then, the caliber of drivers that have driven for Clyde Booth. And you start looking at Warren Conium, Jimmy Champagne, um, Pat Abold, Mike Ordway. Um, you've had Doug Didero, Michael Barnes, uh, I think Dave Schillick Jr., I think, for a little bit. And, and of yep. course, his dad as well. Um, you know, and, and then now Mike Jr., and I know that I, I see, Ted, I think, didn't Teddy Christopher, wasn't that who Teddy ran for when he ran he the did, Super? Yeah, yeah, raced and won with Clyde, yeah. yep. Yeah, so, I mean, you look at the caliber of driver, some of the best to ever sit in a super modified or any open-wheel short-track car have been in Clyde Booth's cars, and almost every one of them have gotten a win. And, um, and then they, you know, there have been championships and such, but um, it's just amazing, really. So, yeah, that was pretty cool, and I'm glad to see Mike Jr. Uh, win at Oswego because, again, you know, I know that that really meant a lot to him to to get the win. Um, you know, you see, I mean, they're from New England, but his dad spent so much time racing at Oswego. 
you know, Mike Jr., kind of, you kind of grow up there, even though you're from a distance. And so, um, and then to get in that car and be able to go and, and pull that off, that was great. And, and what a, what a lap. I mean, I, I'm almost hoping nobody ever breaks that record because that means 14, five. And there's something about that that just really, really frightens me, to be honest. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I know it is know, crazy. I can't just, imagine, you know, when, when I started going in the seventies, if you were in the eighteens, you were really quick. <laughs> now they're four seconds faster. It's scary, but uh, run down the, um, the, the rest of the finish so we can talk more about that. Sure. First, the 61, Mike Ordway Jr. Second, the 19, Trent Stevens. Third, the 11, Michael Barnes. Fourth, the 7, Otto Sitterly. Fifth, the 11, Kyle Edwards. Sixth, the 74, Johnny Benson. Seventh, the 84, Mike Lichty. Eighth, the 98, Tyler Thompson. Ninth, the 01, Dan Connors. Tenth, the 78, Mark Samet. Eleventh, the 41, Russ Wood. Twelfth, the 55, Rich Reed. Thirteenth, the 9, Anthony Nosella. Fourteenth, the 99, Jerry Kern. 15th, the 15, Michael Muldoon. 16th, the 83, Lulave Jr. 17th, the 39, Allison Slowed. 18th, the 32, Mo Lilji. 19th, the 97, Ben Seitz. 20th, the 22, Mike McFetta. 21st, the 0, Tim Snyder. 22nd, the 27, Eric Iosu. And 23rd, the double zero, Joe Gozik. So, uh, good run, uh, again for Trent Stevens and, uh, great to see Michael Barnes and Otto. I mean, again, that, that it, that was a competitive field of cars. Um, you know, I, I just wish I don't, you know, it's kind of interesting because I, I just, I feel like that we're, we're kind of seeing that big money alone doesn't draw cars anymore. And I'm not sure why, honestly, there are guys that I just don't know why they, they, um, they, they haven't been running these shows, but, um, I don't know what else John Nicotra or anyone could do to, uh, to, to draw cars. But, um, the, the important thing for me is that both of these races have been dynamite in terms of competition and, uh, you know, an excitement and it's and and honestly, as a side note, it's great to see Johnny Benson r- racing in a swiggo. I mean, that, that, um, you know, again, second generation driver and, uh, gosh, his dad goes back to the sixties at a swiggo. So, yeah, you know, right. how cool would it be if Johnny ever pulled a win off maybe in the next uh, wing challenge race and added the Benson family to that long list of long growing list of, of second, first and second gen who had picked up wins. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it's crazy, uh, to, um, you know, to, to think that, um, if Johnny won at a Swiggo, we'd be talking about, um, almost if not 60 years almost 60 years apart from when his dad was was running and winning that's right yeah i you know what i i don't know when he won his father the last mm, i'm gonna have to look that up but had to be in the 60s. it has been cool to see johnny and he's run really well got a heat win the first the first night out and another good run last week actually beat his teammate lickty by one spot and is in the points battle for this deal, yeah. although now Trent Stevens with a win in a second has run away to a comfortable 45-point advantage over Edwards, Barnes, Sitterly, and, and Ordway is the top five right now. But again, that's going to come down to the last race there, and it's been really exciting, and just kudos to John Nicotra and Isma, MSS, and Oswego for working together. Yes. Um, all the promoting John has done to, to get the right sponsors on board, the, the redraw. I mean, there's there's a sponsor for every 
driver that Every draws part a, of the show, a number yeah. out of a box. Yeah. I mean, we haven't seen that at a Swiggo, I don't know, ever. Yeah. Um, so it's it's really cool what, what John has done. And, and just everybody do me a favor and go look at the Wing Challenge Flyer. We have posted on the Speedway page and read the list of literally dozens of sponsors, associate sponsors that are that are on that flyer and try and go support them if you can. Absolutely. We need to support all sponsors at this point that uh, yes. that keep racing alive because um, it matters at this point, big time. Um, so, yeah, good. Uh, definitely a good, strong race. And, you know, it's an interesting schedule. You again, you know that your track is well positioned when you go from a race of this veracity straight to a 10,000 to win event. Um, and, you know, what's but I feel like in some ways that kind of, you know, you've got some, some people that were, that have kind of said, we're, you know, we're, we're saving our stuff for this race. Um, so they, they aren't racing every week, which is, you know, that's the part that everybody, you know, gets, uh, has some consternation about, but, um, again, we are where we are. Uh, but I, I feel like you're going to see some guys back for this race that can put us again in the 20 car range, um, and certainly the the way that the racing has been, even with the lower car counts, this could be a real barn burner of a race, depending on how, it, you know, the lineup shake out and if everybody can get through the, the qualifying races in one piece. Right. Yeah, I think we'll be back up above 20 cars next weekend. Uh, Bobby Santos is supposed to be coming. Yes. And then you'll have Mike Bruce, who wants to run the 10 grand to win. I think the 44 that we're talking about, Brandon Ben Sites back for this race. Michael Barnes will be back. Yes. Um, and you may also see McVetta, Samet, Lasecki. Those were three guys talking about coming for one of the 75 lappers. And, okay. Well, this is the last one. So hopefully, well, hopefully they're coming. <laughs> um, Jerry Kern as well is going to be racing. Allison Slowed. So it should be a really good field, um, probably around 22 cars or more. Okay. Well, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, hopefully the forecast is good. Um, that's worked out really well for the most part this year. So let's hope we can keep that going. Um, what else is going on on Saturday? Do we have both, uh, SBS and 350 back or what are we doing? Yeah. Saturday, uh, super SBS and 350 summer championships, uh, all three classes, both this weekend and next. And Saturday is also autograph night, so we'll have everybody down on the front stretch at 5.15. Uh, start a little early. He races at 6.30 and come down and get some autograph cards and candy from all the drivers, Supers, SBS, and 350s. All right. Uh, did we miss anything here? I think we caught up on all the race recaps. Uh, I think so, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, okay, so we've... We've had some other news that's uh, been going on at uh, in and around the Oswego Speedway fraternity. I think uh, maybe the biggest piece of news is that there has been, and I'm calling this a change in relationship between, uh, not calling it a divorce because I don't think that's what it is at all, between Rich Worth and, um, and, and the sort of Bruce Racing uh, group. Rich has decided that um, it's necessary for him to step back a little bit and focus more on uh, Robbie's career that started uh, late last year and has continued into this year and uh, the SBS 04 car. So um, they, he, he and um, Mike Bruce and the Bruce side 
uh, Robbie and, you know, all of that group, they're, they're kind of working out a way to sort of separate yet still associate, it sounds like, um, to where, you know, Mike and his family will oversee all of their stuff and do their own thing. And Rich will focus on Robbie, um, but Rich will still also uh, do everything he can to continue to help Mike and and that group uh, with with their stuff uh, in every way, you know, that that he possibly can. And I think what it sounds like what really perpetuated this was that race a couple of weeks ago when Mike ended up winning and had the, you know, the crash afterward and ended up in the tech barn. And then there was all that going on and and, and Rich, uh, the way I understand it, you know, Rich w- had to go over there and look, kind of, you know, look into or look after that and missed a lot of Robbie's race, which, you know, I think as a dad, you know, that's really not what he, what he wants to, to have to do. Right. So I think he kind of realized at that moment that maybe I've now reached that point where my attention is, is more divided than I want it to be. And I need to sort of fix this so that we can all, you know, keep going and doing what we're doing. And nobody's, you know, nobody is um, kind of, you know, injured by any of this. But yet at the same time, I can focus more on on my son's career. And I, I mean, I feel like that's perfectly understandable. And it sounds like everybody is working amiably through the process of that. Boy, there were a lot of cars in that group. and. <laughs> <laughs> so what have you heard uh up there about all of that well there there is a lot of cars to sort out and, and i've been kind of trying to process all of that myself but i uh, just really wish both of them well yes um, great people the bruce's and and rich and, and his whole gang and i totally understand everyone's position riches and also mike's who just kind of wants to scale back a little bit he's really busy with his construction business yep and Rich loves buying race cars, and I think this was at the point where just just had too many race cars that that Mike could could worry about driving or working on right now, and just trying to scale back a little and and do his old his his own thing, which I totally understand. And same deal with Rich, of course. You, you may be feeling a little bit guilty that okay, I it, it's great to to have the super and the three fifty and and try to you know, put Mike in, in a position to, to do as well as he can be as successful as he can. But at the same time, am I taking away from my son? And that's, that's something I've even watched my dad go through with two cars this year, just when he works on the other car at all, um, racing on weeks that the super isn't even racing. So right. um, it's kind of just, he, he's being a dad and, and I, I totally get it. And sure. it's, it's again, completely understandable, makes perfect sense. And um, dad's going to want to focus on, on his son and, and Robbie's very talented in his own right also. And, um, just again, wish them both well and, and hope that everything works out, but I can, I guess, read through all the cars they have if you want and kind of sort out what's going where. Well, what. from what I understand, um, if, if I've got this right in my own head and you can correct or whatever as we go, but from what I understand, obviously the car Robbie's driving stays, stays in house. Um, and, but the, the big block super that Mike's been racing, um, they co-owned that in some sort of way. So my understanding is rich has kind of, um, made an arrangement with Mike 
uh, whether he just sort of gave him his share or they worked the price, whatever. But there's an arrangement for Mike to sort of take that one over um, and keep doing that. Is that what you're hearing too? Yes. Um, so I guess Rich has just given Mike his half of the super. Okay. So, yeah. Um, so Mike will be able to race that under the Bruce racing banner. Right. And then right. there's the Isma car that they have that seems to be a bit of an orphan in this deal. Like, <laughs> you know, there's no real plan for it as yet. They kind of want to run it, but you know, and I think, I don't know. I think that was, that's Rich's car as far as I know, but you know, again, that's why I'm saying I don't want to call this a divorce because that somehow implies, you know, there was some sort of, and I don't think this has been that way at all. I think they're all trying to, so I think there's a chance we still see Mike in that car eventually. Um, but, uh, you know, there, that's not a real priority. It sounds like the, I don't, what, I, what I'm not sure of, and maybe you can f help me with this one, is the 350 Mike's been driving. Um is that one staying with Rich or is Mike going to continue to race that because he's also got your car that, that you, you know, he bought from you guys over the winter. And it sounds like maybe that car may come out at some point with Mike driving. Am I, am I close? Yeah. So, okay. So the big black, I'll just go through them all. Go ahead. So the big black, Mike, Mike is going to run part-time. He's running Mr. Super a couple of races and then right. classic right. and he owns that. Now that's his car. Okay. The warrior three fifty, that is Rich's car. Okay. And Rich is going to hold on to that for now for Robbie to test with right. maybe tomorrow. Oh, um, so they're, they're going to work on getting <laughs> okay. him in that soon. Um, I, I think he said either tomorrow or the next fast Friday. Wow. The Isma car is sold. Oh, um, that's going on Saturday. I don't know to who. Rich didn't say. Okay. But that's, that's gone. Um, there's the 04 SBS that was Anthony Lacerdo's car that Robbie has run the last couple of weeks. Right. And that is obviously Rich's. The white 04 SBS, another older FFB car that Mike just won with at Chamun, that is Rich's. And he has said that Mike will probably still stay in that car since they're leading the small black championship series points for okay. that car. So they'll they'll still be working together there. My old car is Mike and Carly's and they're working on getting a motor for it. Last I knew we're planning on racing it this weekend. Oh wow. Okay. So Mike Mike will go over to to that car, the former strong car for his full time three fifty campaign. And then there's the thirty two SBS that Robbie's been driving. That's Mike and Carly's yes. Robbie Bruce I should say. Yes. And that's Mike and Carly's, and they're working on putting a new clip on that for whenever Robbie Bruce wants to come back out and, and race. So they own now three cars between the, the Super Modified and my old car, the 350, and the SBS, and then Rich still has both SBSs and a 350. <laughs> okay, now all of you listening to this, there will be a quiz on this on Friday, so study up. Um, <laughs> that's uh that that is uh that's a lot of cars and I think, you know, we we all um we all have have had fun with Rich's sort of obsession with, you know, scarfing up cars. You you had a dirt modified yes. for a little while and you know, there've been one or two others I think that have kind of come and gone um over that time um but it's um 
you know, in, in all seriousness, you know, I think we all understand the money that that you know has to be put out to have all that, right? And and so I think you know there were that some of it was Mike, some of it was Rich's, and it, and it's again there there comes that point where you know Rich just wants to he's still got JNS paving, you know he he's you know he's still um, you know the Mozart of Macadam, right? So he's he's still got that business to run, um, and then you've you know you want to make sure that you've got uh, Robbie in good position, so. Um, what I, what I think is going to happen is Rich will still do as much as he can from a sponsorship standpoint or help standpoint for, um, Mike and, in in his cars, um, as, you know, as needed and, and as the ability is there, but, um, you know, he just wanted to have a more sort of clear division again, so he could focus on, um, on, on building Robbie's career. So I don't think anybody really loses here. Um, like I said, I feel like it's just basically a change in the relationship. Um, and you know, the oversight of, of individual cars more or less. Um, so there, you know, and then of course, uh, the RBI name, which was not really, um, you know, just riches to begin with, um, you know, that, that goes away now. And it, the, the name for riches side for Robbie's stuff is Robbie worth racing. Yes. No more RBI. Really bad idea. That's, that's what that stands for. Um, <laughs> you know, that's the first I've but, heard that. I always wondered what that was and nobody ever told me. That's funny. Yep. Really bad idea. Considering, really, really good idea. I, I think that's what I thought too. Yeah. Consider, but, but considering the people involved there, the name makes perfect sense. Um, you know, that, that would be something they would come up with. Uh, yeah, but, um, cause you know, let's face facts here. Owning a race car is a really bad idea for your pocketbook, right? It's a really good idea for your fun, uh, time, right. but yeah, not so much for the wallet. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I think we got through that relatively unscathed here and we wish both sides luck. And the only thing I'll add to that is, my gosh, I, I hope we get Robbie Bruce back on the track soon. I feel so bad for that for, for him because, you know, coming into his second year, um, you know, you have all these expectations, you know, uh, you know, go out and win, maybe run for a championship and right off the bat, kaboom. And, you know, you lose a clip and um you know, and, and, and Robbie being the, you know, uh, the, the soldier that he is, um, you know, it, it kind of puts his, his personal, you know, feelings aside, uh, and emotion aside about not being able to drive for a while and jumps right back into, you know, being, um, you know, crew chief or whatever for, for Mike and, and, and everybody else, you know, it's just, um, I really want to see him be able to get back out. Me too. Yeah. And I think that, that he wants to as well, but, I've also heard that he really enjoys helping Mike and is content with doing that for the time being until they get the car back together. But um, he's, he has the talent himself to go and be competitive and, and yeah. win races. And um, I'd like to, I think that Mike wasn't really happy with the way that car was performing anyway. And I think they'd like to really go through that car carefully, you know, with a fine tooth comb, rebuild it before Robbie comes back out or maybe even upgrade their equipment. So who knows? We'll see if it's this year or, or next year, but probably haven't seen the last of them on the track of the Swiggle. I hope so. I hope they get them back out for the classic at least, um, you know, because uh, again, uh, he, you know, he showed top five talent uh, last yes. year and this year just obviously never got out of the gate really. So, um, you know, hopefully they get them back out there and, 
you know, it's, uh, you know, it's just been, it's been a crazy couple of weeks with all that news. And then of course, Norm McLeod selling out. Um, and, uh, we saw Josh Sokolik bring his car out. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see now who has McLeod's car and kind of what develops out of that. Um, is there anybody else that we know of? I mean, we, we know the big block guys that are sort of, you know, like, you know, what's Todd Stoll doing? It's kind of, that's the where's Waldo of the, the, the news cycle. It feels like he sort of pops out for a test that goes away for a while. Um, but you know, there are other, some other guys, but what about in the three fifties or the SBS? Is there anybody that still isn't out that we know is coming out? Are there any new, any news that we haven't covered? Uh, yeah. Uh, John Tesserario is going to be out next weekend in the three fifty, oh, And that's, that's Terry's, memorial race and we'll talk about that next week but um that's of course why he's doing it and i'm sure his car will be a special tribute to terry that's his aunt yes um and who else is maybe gonna come out um well nick barzee's come out sokolik's come out talent hawksby they're working on it that's they're hoping another by the one end yes. of the month. Um, that's the other one there so okay um and then as far as the sbs brian haynes is actually practicing tomorrow It'll be his first time out this year. Oh, um, we'll see Brad Haynes out also. Mike Bond is coming back to race Mr. SBS in the classic again. Oh, wow. So we'll we'll have quite a few more guys. Um, it, it, car count wise, I think we're going to see a nice incline the rest of the season leading up to classic in all three divisions. Yeah, it feels like uh, SBS will be close to a f- I guess if you, you know, the number we always use at Oswego is 24. So SBS, it feels like it could hit that mark pretty easily um, over the next few weeks as a run up to the classic. The 350 class um, obviously probably isn't going to get to 24, but certainly could get closer to 20. And then when you get to classic and you add in all the, you know, the New England cars that will come in for that race, we should be over 24, I would think, close to 30. Um, and, uh, you know, the big blocks, uh, you're just at this point, it, it might, you know, it seems to me, you're just, uh, I think a full field of 24 for the classic would be, um, you know, we, we should be thankful for that because I just, I don't see 30 cars. I just don't see no, that. Happening. I don't either. It's sad, but that's where we are. But again, the racing, despite the low car count, the racing has been fantastic. And I think that's, um, you know, that's great to see. Uh, so a lot of reason to be optimistic. So let's talk about, okay, we got the 10,000 to win coming up. First of all, let's run through the schedule for this weekend for all of that. Sure. Uh, Saturday night is the summer championship 10,000 to win next weekend. So, uh, a big way to finish off the month of July and then off for a week for, Harborfest and High Miler and all that. But this Saturday night, Oswego County today is presenting a summer championship. Pits open at 2 o'clock, grandstands at 3.15, group time trials at 4.30, autographs on the front stretch at 5.15, oh, heat nice. race at 6.30, 25 laps for the 350s, 30 laps for the SBS, and 50 laps for the big black supers this week. Okay, so then you said, uh, so the, what's what's happening then? Uh, the 23rd is what? Is that another race or are we off? 
The 23rd is 10 grand to win. That's Mr. Super Modified Night. Oh, wait a minute. So the guy, okay, so I've skipped a race then. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so there is a, a week between. I got ahead of myself. I was thinking 10 grand was this week. So um, this year has gone by so quick. I, I've lost track of what we're actually halfway through July already, and I'm trying to catch up to everything. Um, so So then we have the week off at the end of the month, and then we go into August, and we start thinking about classic and uh we've we've got another obviously the last part of the um the wing challenge series to run and um you know what else is going on in august that people should start planning for a retro night on the 6th that's right and that's old timers reunion will be back this year Yay. 45 lap feature for the supers have the sbs and the super stocks that night another race for them good um the wing challenge finale on august 13th and then the track championship on august 20th so um three weekends of racing again in august so five weekends left not including say, classic yeah and it's going to be as, as things move forward here closer to classic like i said you're going to get more cars guys coming out for the first time this year um people that have been working on their cars haven't been able to get parts hopefully finally get into the track and um, we'll see rising car counts we got exciting point battles to keep an eye on and different drivers making appearances. So it's a good time to, to head to the races, especially this weekend. The weather looks beautiful for autographs, and kids 16 under are free. So come take advantage of that. It should be a fun weekend Saturday night. Yeah, it should be a great weekend. Uh, um, do we know anything about Hal? Is 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 Hal uh, making any progress toward his comeback? I just hate seeing him not be on the track, because I know he really wants to be. I know what, um, actually I just texted him a few minutes ago, oh. <laughs> um, and I haven't heard back yet, so I'm, I'm waiting to hear, but Jack Patrick is going to race Saturday. Thank Saturday, God. So good. That's, that's another uh, one. Good for him. That's awesome news. Yeah. And we'll have Nathan bird back this week as well. Um, Jack bought a former, it was a, a Holmes motor. He told me, yeah, a, a Bob bond motor rebuilt oh. Doug Holmes. Okay. So, um, that's, that's really good news. Um, Jack's another low buck guy. You hate to see that happened to anyone but for sure especially you know a blown motor and a hard crash happened to guys like jack patrick and and how tulip it's just you know it's just been really unfortunate because we could have just as easily had 18 cars a couple of weeks ago which yep. would have been fine yep and guys just didn't quite get their stuff done and then next thing you know you're starting the feature we had 16 starting the feature with 12 because hard crash for connor's Crash for Nathan Bird, crash for Ryan Lockham, and a blown engine for Patrick. It was yeah. just a rough night, and I, you know, I get all the the car count stuff and and everything, and there's some valid concerns. But again, I have to say, I think some of the concern is is greatly exaggerated. It it'll it'll come around. It'll get better. Well, the part of the <clears throat> excuse me, part of the problem I think is um, that y y when you have when you have a number, like you said, you got, you know, 17, 18 cars. Okay. And then, you know, you, you have, you know, three guys crash, one guy blow a motor. Now you're down in, in that case, we were down to 12. Right. But then, so it's getting, um, and then you've got guys that are not able to run or choose not to run the full season because of costs. Um, and they want to save their stuff for certain races. Then you've got other guys, like you said, haven't been able to get parts. Um, it's it's trying to get everybody there at the same time and when you when you keep having crashes and having guys blow motors right like it's it's just like every time you start to make progress 
you know, three go down. And, um, you know, those are things that you can't control. They, they just happen. And, and, uh, so, you know, and, and that's why I keep saying, you know, it's okay to mention car count. It's okay to talk about car count, but I don't think you should be, you know, when I talk about car count, I was hasten to say the quality of the racing is still great. I mean, there's still, you know, it's been really competitive all year long and you've seen some really great driving by some folks that, you know, you might not necessarily have thought would be running for wins or whatever. It's a good quality field. It's just, you know, we haven't been able to get the quantity and, um, you know, I, I think people just need to focus on, on that, on the racing side of it and the competition side of it and not, you know, don't use car count to say that it, it makes it less good. We all know we'd rather have 30 cars. I mean, the classic has always been part of what makes the classic so exciting is all the slower traffic. And that's where a lot of the late race drama always used to come in. When you only have 24 cars start, you don't have that. Right. So it's like, it's, it's kind of a, you just have to look at it and be thankful that the cars that we've got are of quality. And um, again, you know, we need to keep the fans coming to the track because if the fans don't come to the track, the track doesn't make money and, you know, and we don't have any racing. So um, we all have to, we all have to just um, ride through this, you know, and, um, and, and keep working. And when you see a guy like Jack Patrick, who, you know, doesn't have big bucks, and he goes out, you know, blows the motor one week after what arguably to me was his finest moment in a super modified blows the motor. Um, and then immediately goes out, whether it's his own money or his, you know, sponsors money, doesn't matter where the money came from, but, but cares enough to go right back out, get another motor and come back. As long as people like Jack Patrick are in competition, um, in, in your, in your field, you got to be excited to go to the track every week, because those are the guys that, that really put the color in the guys with the big money, you know, you want them there too, of course, but it's the Jack Patrick's that always make, um, what you're doing special. So, um, yes, without a doubt, you know, that's how I've always felt about it. Um, and, uh, so I hope, uh, I hope this weekend's a great race, uh, looking forward to watching as always. And, um, you know, the, the 10 grand to win is looming and then everybody, uh, I guess gets a week break to kind of get ready for the August run up to the big one. Yeah, that's right. So, all right, man. Well, uh, I, uh, look forward to seeing what you can do this weekend, sir. You had a great run in the heat race last time out. Um, you know, hated to, to see that the, uh, the feature didn't obviously didn't work out the way you'd hope that it would, but, uh, it shows what you can do. Um, and, um, you know, you, and, and it's just, again, you're going to put a whole night together and, and, you know, hopefully it's this weekend and, um, get some momentum going and, uh, you're going to be fine going into the classic. I know it. Thanks. I hope so. Car's fast now. Just have to stop breaking stuff and have a little luck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, hoping uh, that you and, and Ryan Locke, too. I mean, my gosh, man, I just want to see that kid finish a feature. Uh, you know, know I feel really bad for you. That's an yeah. understatement, really. Yeah. I mean, I just... Uh, uh, I just feel bad for him. So uh, uh, good luck to you and to everybody else uh, this coming weekend. And uh, we'll talk again next week and um, see where we are going into the big one. All right. Thanks, Tom. We'll talk soon. All right. That's Camden Prow. We're going to be back with more of the groove right after this. 
Okay, folks, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here on Inside Groove, Indie Performance Composites. They're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Jeff West and his team are amazing. They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, super modifieds. It doesn't matter if you've got something that you need designed or fabricated. Let them help you transform your idea, your vision and your budget into a workable, high performance solution. They have all kinds of services from 3D printing to finishing services, end-to-end composite solutions is what they are. Check them out, ipcindy.com or indieperformancecompositesinc.com and tell them that the folks from Inside Groove set you. All right, moving right along, uh, it is time to introduce our featured guest. But before we do that, I should tell you this segment of the Inside Groove is brought to you by Rich Worth and the folks at JNS Paving. JNS is family owned and operated. They have been serving Oswego and Central New York for 31 years. And Rich is only 36, so explain that one. Uh, you, they, they do asphalt paving, landscaping, hardscaping. What in the wide world of sports is hardscaping? Uh, they do bobcat excavating, uh, do all kinds of stuff. They install drains and um, tile pipe, uh, dig ponds. They even sell screened gravel crusher runs. So check them out. And call Rich if you need paving or any of his other services, 315-591-3839. Again, 315-591-3839. JNS Paving. Rich Worth is absolutely the Mozart of Macadam. And with that, we turn to our featured guest for the week. And you know what? Man, this is going to be fun. I'm so excited to have Norm McLeod on the show norm uh good to have you on the program and i i uh gosh i want to start at the very beginning with you because um you and i've talked about this back when i started going in 1973 your uncle ron was driving for jim sewell in the old upright white number 32 and i just i don't know you know what it was but for whatever reason even as a young race fan, I always understood that there were sort of the, you know, the haves and the have nots or the fast guys, the slow guys, however you want to say it. And it wasn't that Ron was slow by any means, but I just always was aware that some people had better equipment or whatever. And um, I always wanted to see the underdogs do well. Your uncle was such a nice man and so good of a racer. I'm curious, how far do you go back with his racing um, at Oswego, when you first started coming to the track, was he running for the Jim Sewell, or had he bought uh, his own car, the '81 car that he bought um, by that time? Well, when uh, my uncle was running for Jimmy Sewell, he—I um, was young, and I remember a little, but not too much. But I remember back when he came out with his own car, the '81, uh, barely able. And he also occasionally right. drove for Ralph Weising, uh, Ralph Burst. Uh, that's when I really started having a memory of Oswego Speedway. 
Okay, so um, so he was he was already in his own car, and yeah, I forgot about that. Barely able. Uh, that that was that was a that was a car that had been around a long time. Uh, was an old um, car that Gordy Dukes had driven, and right. I think. If I remember right, I think maybe Jim Gray had it before Ron bought it. And when Ron bought it, I think there was some intent to put a different driver in it. And he was going to continue driving for Jim Sewell. I'm not really too sure kind of what all happened there, but he ended up driving it himself. And um, he ran for Ralph McLaughlin a little bit in the 48 car, I remember. And as you say, uh, he ran some races with Ralph Wissing in the four um, mm-hmm. and, uh, I think uh, there were probably two or three other cars that, uh, he drove at some time or other as well. Um, you know, he, uh, he was kind of a, uh, a bit of a, uh, ride hopper, not in the sense that he kept not liking what he was driving, but he was one of those drivers back then. It was common for, for drivers to just go from uh, ride to ride on any given night. Yeah. The uh, drivers were the cheapest thing to replace at that time, I believe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, he did drive for the famous C-15 Herm Graf. That's I right. That. Yes, he did. Yep. And yep. I believe he ran a couple of races for Jim Muldoon at one time. I'm not sure what the exact uh, oh, reasons yes. were for that. He ran. But, um, yes, he ran the 68 car. You're right about that. Yes, it was what was, I think, 75 or 6 in the yeah. Classic. Yeah, he qualified that old Nick Virgo car. That's right. Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. Sure did. And I'm not sure why he drove for Jim, but I know it uh, one time, him and Jim were pretty close, along with a bunch of other guys that were in that group with Mr. Hawksby and a couple other guys were within that little, I don't know if you would call it a clique, but they all had the same uh, outlook on racing. Go go compete and have some fun and continue to love that they all had. And that's the one thing I think gets lost in uh, the picture sometimes is, even though my uncle had a tough time trying to qualify at times and usually struggled towards the back. There was one thing that he had or probably had more than most was the love for the sport and the yes. people in the sport. And that's the way Mr. Muldoon was. And I remember Mr. Sewell was the same way. They were there the race, but they were also there because of the people and what they cared about. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And I think the, uh, the deal with the 68 car was Jim was driving, I think, uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember whose car that year. Maybe the could have been the 59 for Ernie and Bob jr. I think it was the 37 actually of, uh, the, the Corb 37. Um, I think that was the one he was in at the time, but he was driving for someone else. So that his own car was, was, uh, you know, kind of just, just sitting there. And I think, uh, he decided to put Ron in it and, uh, boy, and it was great to see him. Uh, I think he qualified 39th and finished 39th actually, but, um, it was great to see him, uh, make the race in that car. I remember that. Uh, it's quite an accomplishment. you think about it back then, just because of the amount of cars that used to Yeah, stay for sure. And then I think it might've been the year right after that. He gave up his spot in the semifinal for the classic, which is now, I guess it would, would be now the bug light B main. Um, right. back then I think they just called it the semifinal. He gave up that his spot in that race for, um, Warren Conium, who has yes. had a terrible weekend with the 52 car. And, um, yeah. And Ron gave up the spot so that Warren could get in and make the classic. And as it was Warren, it just didn't go very well for him. Even in the classic race, I think he was in the twenties at the end, but, um, but that was again, just a true gentleman and somebody who just loved to race. Ron was Ron that you needed the, the round McLeods of the world, 
uh, were are the ones that that are that put the color into your 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 local racetrack because they're the ones that put everything on the line just to get to the track and compete. Yeah, he uh, he did that. He had three girls, and he was on a budget, just like a lot of the guys were back then, yes. and uh, still to this day. And um, but he raced since he was 16 years old until I forgot what year, how old he was when he stopped. But there wasn't a year that he didn't race something for almost 40 years. Yeah, almost 50 years. Yeah, he was he was around a long time, and, and like I said, just always had uh, had a bunch of fun, and it was great to. Great to see him out there, and uh, back in those days, it was a little easier to do that, I guess, than it probably is now. But um, so now, um, what what got you? I mean, we know why you started racing, but what was kind of the the moment, and why did you start when you did, and what did you start racing in? How old were you? For me, um, I was involved with racing since pretty much day one, since I was an infant. My dad raced, and my okay. my dad raced. Um, at Lancaster Speedway when I was born in the late models and my uncle was still running sprint cars with URC at the time. Okay. So I pretty much, I mean, I, if I had a choice, it still would have been racing, but I had no choice in a way. Um, so the, my, so those early years were just going racing with my dad and when I, uh, with my uncle up at Oswego when we could, and then I started racing, I think I was 21 and I ran a street stock at Lancaster Speedway for a couple of years. And then in my uh, infinite wisdom, thinking I could move forward, I ran a modified for a couple of years. And uh, you'll hear the same story here a couple of times is where I just ran myself out of mod- money. Stepped back to a TQ for a couple of years. And then I was like, I, I say it is in my family, I'm the, the middle child, which I don't have a problem when it comes to racing. My dad was the, the older brother and my brother, my younger brother was the younger brother and I was in middle. So I ended up working on my dad's car most of the time or my brother's car, which I really take more pride in than what I did with my driving and I enjoy working on the cars. So then, uh, came along sprint cars for a short period of time with my oh, dad wow. and, uh, we ran there, had some success, uh, finished third in the first Canadian nationals and had some legal issues with that. Um, oh. but we had, uh, yeah, we ran a motor that was old and they had changed the rules, but we didn't have the money to buy a motor. They went from, uh, 360 plus a certain percentage and I was over that percentage so but (laughs) but it's still a prideful run so helped my dad through the years Mark Schultz who drove my super a couple weeks ago started driving for my dad and uh, helped my brother with his uh, racing career if that's what you want to call it at Lancaster with uh, you know championships and multi-feature wins and sure um, we had we had a really good career as brothers at Lancaster Speedway I love that place uh, we delve into the super and um here i am today more or less we ran the super for four years uh the first two years were pretty much messed up because of covid and just learning the cars and everything and then we stepped up to our hot car which we have now and we had some really good success at it early time some luck that was an issue but overall we knew the car was fast so it's uh for me, my my passion for racing was always Oswego, but Lancaster was a little bit more uh, closer to home. But if I had my druthers, I would have been at Oswego every weekend. Well, yeah, I, I mean, and I, I love Lancaster. I can remember many a a, a drive up the thruway to get there. It was just it's just off the thruway, um, and uh, neat little track. Um, I want to go back for a minute because you you said you started the street stock at uh, 20 years old so when what year would that have been 
Uh, it would have been like 1982. I'm okay. not good with years. I apologize for that. So, no, that's okay. Um, but I ask for a reason because back then, in that era, and I, I was, I was born in '67, started going to Oswego in '73, and um, my sister, my brother-in-law. My parents really didn't go anywhere ever, but a swiggle and a few times they took me to Fulton for the Supers. But I used to go with my sister and, and brother-in-law a lot to um, different tracks around dirt tracks and all that. And um, whether it was pavement or dirt, back in those days in the 70s and early 80s, the street stocks were just so much fun. And I think they still are. This They call them super stocks now. And they're, and they're, yeah, and, but, and that's what my class evolved to was a yeah, super stock. But, it, but I think then it was even more stock than it is now. And it was just, you know, it was so kind of easy to put together a car and just go race. You can practically get a car out of a junkyard, I, I think, and, and, you know, put it together and, do whatever safety you got to do and go race the thing. Um, it was just so much fun to watch that class in those days. And it still is. But again, even that has gotten to a little bit more of a, you know, serious level, um, yes. you know, but I, I, I'm beat stock because your family was so much about modifieds. Well, um, one thing with my father, he was a stickler on, um, Young kids being in cars they shouldn't be in okay. back in the day. It's a little different nowadays, but yeah. he truly believed that there was no one that was uh, should be in a in a true race car until they get some seat time and experience okay. uh, racing a car and not jumping into it. Back in the day for us was big block my asphalt modified, and he just so pretty much I was still living at home. So the foot was down saying, if you want to do something different, you can live somewhere else. And if I did that, <laughs> I couldn't afford to go racing. <laughs> so, uh, but he, he was, um, he was old school. My uncle was the same way that you need to get some experience in a slower car. Yeah. They have more on track presence and sure. just be in the right place at the right time for the people that are spending a lot of money out on the track with you. That makes sense. And uh, now you said uh, you went forward, as you say, into the modifieds after a very short career in the street stocks. Are you you kind of said it in a way as if maybe you shouldn't have moved that quickly. Is that what you think that you kind of moved too quick or? Yeah, I was I was definitely over my head. I had some good nights, but I also destroyed the car a couple of times. It was just because I just didn't have enough seat time. Yeah. And um, and pretty much learning the cars himself. I didn't have enough experience working on my own modified to make it where it was the best it could be. And that truly just fell back on lack of experience. And of course, back then too, um, you know, the modified class was, wow. I mean, it's, it's, it's competitive today on the tour, but my goodness gracious, the weekly tracks back then, the, uh, the depth and the level of competition in that division was just so stout. And, um, so not easy to, to run up front and be competitive, even for somebody who's done it for 10 years, let alone somebody who kind of, you know, moves right out of the street stock and hasn't yet figured, uh, I figured mean, things out. Yeah. Right? You know, back when I first started, I mean, now I was a little bit oblivious to it all when I was younger, but I do appreciate that when I did race, I raced against George Kent, Roger Treichler, sure. uh, Kenny Troyer, you know, Siege Fidanza. When the guys came into town, I raced against, they, we used to have the U.S. Open. I ran against all the big shots, and yep. obviously I was following those guys. But um, on a typical weekly show, we had a concy. 
Wow. And you, you, you don't, that doesn't happen anymore. So you had, you had to qualify. You didn't just get a free, free pass getting into the feature. So it was, uh, as much as it wasn't the best of experiences, I, I grew a lot in a short period of time and, uh, luckily gained some, uh, friendships, uh, through the, not friendships, but acquaintances with some people that were willing to help me through the years. So it was, uh, it was it was a good experience in the long run. Yeah, so much fun in those days. I remember being able to go to Oswego on Saturday, and then um, you know, if my sister and brother in law were going to Fulton on Sunday, they'd take me to watch the modifieds, and um, you know, and all the the street stocks and gosh, whatever else I forget was running there at the time. I think they had like a pure stock class or something. But right. um, yeah, just so much fun in those days. Now uh, you ended up uh, in a TQ. How did the TQ yes. happen, and how how much fun was that? Because I feel like those are basically mini super modifieds now. It was it was an absolute riot. Uh, the what I did with it, an initial reason I bought it was just to run indoors. I built the car. Uh, Trey Hoddick built me in a car with Ralph Weising. I was involved with building okay. the car, so um, it was a, actually a scaled down version of a Belfiore. Uh, super modified because that's what Ralph had. Yes. And uh, so we built that car tray shop and then I ran indoors and I ran occasionally outdoors and the, and the occasions on the outdoors is because my dad racing and my brother racing. So we had um, some pretty good success, no wins, but uh, ran pretty strong between my car and I drove for the legend Harry Macy. I don't know if you know Harry or heard of Harry. Oh, Macy, of course. But, yeah. Uh, I used to go to the Niagara Falls shows all the time. Yeah. So I drove for Harry a little bit and so that was my go up to Canada when I could. What mostly was built for indoors, and uh, ran that for a couple of years. And at that point in time, I had just changed jobs. I worked for Napa for 35 years. Oh wow! And I was getting into the management side, so I had to step back with uh, driving. You know, I still worked on them, but I just couldn't take the time. Sure. The, to uh, put it towards racing and trying to keep a job. So eventually. Um you had the chance to uh, jump in to the 350 class here in the last uh, couple of years. And mm. so what, you know, what precipitated that move into that class at Oswego when it started? Cause you were, I think part of the first year. Uh, I think you just did just, I'm trying to remember, did you start late in the first year? Maybe. Yeah, we got there towards, I think we had two races prior to the classic. That okay. Year. Yeah. That's what I thought. All right. Uh, what well, what made you decide to do that? Back when uh, Mr. O'Brien started the SBS series, originally I heard they were going to be using the old Super Modify frame. So at that point in time, I had a brand new, my uncle had a brand new show car chassis that I was thinking I was going to run in the new oh, class, wow. support class at Oswego, however long that was. And then uh, I just, it, it didn't intrigue me too much with the, what they were doing with the rules. Obviously, it was the thing to do because you can see the car counts they have now. Sure. But um, so we did the stock car thing at Lancaster, and then um, I had um, I had a TQ that Mark Schultz was driving for me. We were running outdoors, and BJ McDonald had built the motor, and he also built the chassis. So okay, um, he helps out the Lichty. He's been around for a long time. Great craftsman and great guy. And uh, so I was there dropping my motor off for the TQ to get rebuilt over the winter. And I asked him, I said, do you hear about the 350 Superclass you're going to have at Oswego? And he more or less stopped and looked at me and goes, I got the car for you. And he was the main guy on Allison Slode's car when she was running ISMA. Ah, and um, okay. from that point forward, I got in contact with uh, Allison's father, Brent. And uh, within a couple, 
couple of days, I think it was, uh, we made the deal for me to get the, her car. Nice. And, and my buddy Mark took pity on me, I guess, and he bought everything that I had for the TQ trailer and all so I could afford to do the uh, 350 Super. And um, that's how we started and had a lot of great help from BJ and um, a lot of people in, in a short period of time I reached out to and all got back to me within sometimes minutes and sometimes less than a day to help me out with my questions. That's great. Yeah, that and that, again, typical um, of the fraternity at Oswego to do that. Now, when you when you first brought the car out, if I remember right, it was 81, right? You uh, yes. painted yep. it up. Yeah, you did a tribute to your Uncle Ron. That was so cool that you did that. Um, and you, But you reversed the scheme. You had it white with a blue number instead of the blue that he had with with the, uh, I think it was a white number 81 that he had in his car. Yeah, um, white with a yellow outline. Yes, that's right. Yeah, what was what was the reason you didn't just go ahead and paint it to look like his? Was it just because you knew you were only going to do uh, it first? I'm just curious. It was a matter of time and convenience. The car that when I got it from the Cummins was pretty much spotless. Um, you know, so all I had to do was take the vinyl off and it was in very good condition. Oh, okay. And I just didn't have the time to, you know, change or get it painted or put a, or money to uh, wrap it. So, and uh, so I talked to my cousin, Jean, who, you know, was part of my uncle's crew. And she goes, you got the 81 in and we put barely able on there on the spot in the car. And it was my uncle's car. It didn't matter. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, it didn't really matter. I, I'm just... and, and so, uh, and that's how it ended up that way. It's just a matter of convenience, but we did, uh, my brother and I both wanted to honor my uncle because he ran there for so long, but not only did he run there, he didn't, when he didn't race, he was still there because he loved the place. And, yeah. you know, that's the one thing I have to say between my my uncle's family and my family, the majority of us, Oswego's number one to us. Now, yeah, because, I mean, a lot of the, and I think your uncle was one of them, a lot of the guys back then, and, and I guess maybe they still do now, I don't know, um, but a lot of them had motorhomes, and they would they would literally take off, you know, I guess, I suppose in your uncle's case, probably Saturday morning because you would needed to you know, have that much travel time. But, you know, some of them like the can the Canadian guys, Conium and some of those guys would leave on Friday and, um, right. you know, drive through the night or whatever, get here on Saturday morning with the motorhomes, just chill. And it was kind of like you part of you were coming to race, but you also um, everybody sort of parked their motorhomes or whatever in the same spot and had your little social group that, yeah, you know, it was like a small community. Yeah. I mean, you, you, uh, well, yeah, especially at classic time, my goodness gracious. Uh, but, but I mean, you know, it was as much of, you know, I, I get to go, you know, hang out with my friends at the racetrack on the weekend. And that really mm-hmm. was what it was like back then with a lot of those people, they were all, they were very close personal friends and, um, you know, and then of course you, you also got in the car and raced. So that was, you know, but that was only part of the experience. So that, that, that's always something that I, I've kind of kept with me over the years is, um, you know, you, you kind of look for tracks or, or, you know, race events where that experience still exists because it doesn't everywhere, uh, anymore it it it, it, it still does because we actually camped in my uh, brother-in-law's trailer over the weekend and there's quite a few uh overnighters there hey, and um, that's got good. to talk got to befriend some people and um 
just hang out and shoot the uh, racing bull, um, as you would call it. Yeah. Bench and uh, that brought me back. And usually I'm, we're cruising back. We were cruising back home to Buffalo on after the races when we were running this, our super here and, um, just brought back memories because my uncle used to keep his camper at the speedway right by the McDonald's before the bowling lanes were up. Oh, he did. Okay. Uh, yep. Or he kept it at Jim great, Mr. Gray's house, Jim Gray's okay. house. Yep. And, yep. um, cause he, sometimes he was pulling the race car back and forth to Buffalo also. So he had, uh, he had a place to keep his camper. So that's where we used to stay when we used to go up there. So it was, um, it was always fun, especially for me and my brother. We can cause a lot of trouble while the parents were <laughs> indulging. Yeah, I bet. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's great. Okay. So let's talk about, um, your, your, your time with your car, uh, at a, with at, at Oswego. Um, you, uh, you brought it out and, um, I think what Tom drove it right for a yep. bit. And then, um, you you had said something. Um, I guess there there kind of got to be a situation where Tom Tom couldn't uh, keep racing. So um, you you had uh, I guess Bobby Holmes ended up in it last year. We all know he won the classic. First right. of all, before we even get to that, I was going to make a, a an interesting point because you didn't mention it. So I don't know if if this was just coincidence or if you were kind of continuing the. Uh, the tribute, but you went from the number 81, which Ron drove for himself to the number 32, which Ron drove for Jim Sewell. Was that like a purposeful thing that you did? Yeah, it, it actually in more ways than one, but before I say anything else, before we ran the 32, I had called Dan Sewell and asked him if he was okay with it because, you know, he truly, their, their family truly respected that question. And, um, so in the long run, so Danny Sewell and I are now friends just because of that phone oh, that's call because he was so appreciative Danny's that I called him. Danny's a great him. guy, yeah. Uh, um, so my uncle drove um, for Jim Sewell, and that was 32. He did. But number 32 was also my father's number for all oh, years that he right. raced. Oh, that's right. Yes. So, okay. Um, if you know it's in pictures, there's a light blue that surrounds the 32 on the car, and that was my dad's. Pepsi blue was always same color as actually Mr. Sewell's cars. It's almost the same light blue. Interesting. And, yeah. So, and that, and that's the reason homage to what my uncle had done at Oswego and then respect to my dad, you know, for, that's you neat. know, racing for over 50 years himself. And, um, okay. So, and that's all we know. I mean, that's what my brother runs now and that's, well, not now, but we always ran 32 here. Right. And then if I, if I, he had the 32, I ran either 91, which was my uncle's sprint car number, or say, 81, yeah. which was the uh, the super modified number. Because I believe that Ron actually brought his sprint car to Oswego um, a few times and raced it in the early days. If yes, I he did, and, and it amazes yeah. me because I know the car and what he was up against, and he did have a top 10 with that car at one time. Okay, yeah, that's. I thought I remembered... Uh, Thought I remembered seeing that in one of my oldest programs, but yeah, that's pretty uh, interesting. So yeah, we just there's just pictures on Facebook of that car. Oh. Somebody has it in Ohio. Oh wow! With the original Genesee bear wagon on the hood with his name on the cowl and everything. Oh and no kidding! As he came off the track, yeah. Wow. This uh, that's pretty cool, and it's not available. I checked. Oh man, <laughs> how cool would that be to be able to get that back in the family yeah. just to have it, right? Yeah, um, that would have been awesome. But I understand sure. the guy's a collector, and he loves the car. It's got some history behind when my uncle had it, so he he kept it. That's so. interesting. Wow. Okay, I didn't know that. So, um, all right. So Bobby gets in the car now. Um, when when Tom couldn't keep racing, what was the um, what was the consideration? Like, how did it get from 
Tom to Bobby Holmes as opposed to, you know, whomever else you might have been able to choose. Right. Well, the, the thing was, my brother, with his work and with family, he couldn't promise. Well, we didn't really plan to run on every week, but if there was a week I wanted to race and he couldn't, um, we talked about it and we decided that Bobby would be uh, a good candidate. And we <laughs> go back to Holmes and McLeod's. My dad raced against Bobby's uncle. Or Bobby, yeah, Bobby's uncle Ross, Ross and then yep. my brother and Bobby raced against each other for about five years. Okay, and there was never an issue. Utmost respect when they raced side by side, and they raced for championships multiple times, and never had an issue. And uh, so we had, and we know the family, so we know the the people, the homes are uh, are were great people. We never really were personal with them, but we knew what they were about and how they raced and everything, and. Um, that's that's one of the blessings of what we did here with this 350 is that I have the homes as close personal friends now, which I didn't have before this started. So, um, so Bobby, that's what we decided. We contacted Bobby initially with the white car, which he, it never came to fruition where he tried it or practiced it. Oh, okay. And then uh, he was still on the list. And um, uh, so when my brother's obligations had changed, I called Bobby and he was – he was all for it, and it was the last race of the year, so we did the practice on Friday or uh, Wednesday, pardon me, and then the classic. So, pretty much history from that point forward. But, oh my goodness, uh, is it stepping ever? Stepping aside, there there is a kid. I shouldn't say a kid; he's not a kid anymore. But to me, he is. But he is probably the most underrated driver in the northern area, and I have more than one people that can attest to this that he is so underrated, and what he's capable of is beyond. Anything. My my, uh, my brother feels the same way about him, and um, it's a shame that he hasn't gotten into a, a real top ride because he is that good. Are you talking about Bobby? Yep. Yeah, okay. Yep. My oh, brother's that sure. good, too, but he's getting there up there like me in the years. Yeah. But, um, you know, but Bobby's got some he's got some time left in him. He's very concerned about his son's racing career, but if you put him in the car, you're not going to be disappointed whatsoever because it's going to come back probably winning or close to winning and in one piece. Well, he proved that because he came mm-hmm. right back after he won the classic for you. He jumps into um, one of um, Mike uh, Barbera's cars and goes right yep. out wins. <laughs> it's like, you know, he's just in an incredible racer. And, you know, we had him on um, – uh, a little while back here and just super nice guy and a lot of fun to talk to. And I know he really appreciated that opportunity to go in and, and do that for you. Uh, and it was, you know, that's, that's an amazing accomplishment uh, that you were able to, to grab the classic trophy. And so um, this year started you um, uh, Bobby, I think, uh, was it that you didn't have, the car wasn't ready, I don't think, right? That's why Bobby was in the 75, or did you lack some parts? What was going well, on? We, well, we raced at the uh, the 350 smack race up at Evans Mills, and we blew our motor. Oh, okay, that's what it was, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so we were going to be out. We weren't even sure if we were going to race the rest of the year, but um, a lot of people within my, my group, everybody chipped together, and with money I had saved over the winter for a racing budget, I all had to be put into a new, uh, a new motor. Wow. And um, so that took a while. And Mike, I actually met Mike for the first time at Evans Mills, and he called me and says, hey, if you're going to be out for a while, would you mind if I call Bobby? I said, absolutely, you know, call him. You know, he deserves it. And um, the rest is history there, too. And uh, it, I I was there with Bobby and helping him, and what a great group of guys they are at uh, Barbera's racing team there. We had a lot of fun in a short period of time there. 
Yeah, they're definitely a, a fun bunch. Uh, Brian Sovis, I think, is, again, a driver that needs to be in a top-shelf big-box super, but certainly is having a lot of fun running for Mike in the mm-hmm. um, in the, in the uh, small block or the 350 car. And, um, yeah, the, the 75's been a bit of a rotating seat, which is fun. Uh, you never know who's going to drive it from week to week, and everybody that's driven it has, has driven it, you know, to the front of the field, honestly. It's... Um, Mike is the, put together. This Chris Foley kid that drove the car this week went, how impressive was that? 16-6 first time in the car? Yeah, Logan. That's, that's unheard of. Well, yeah. I mean, Logan, Chris Foley came straight out of go-karts. He didn't even, it, there wasn't even a like an SBS, you know, no, he mid-step. Ran, he, he, he raced against my son in go-karts, but he also, I believe he ran mini sprints, but he also oh, was he running did? a sprint car. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, that From what I understand. It. Okay. Um, but all I know is... Um, that not too many people can jump into any type of race car and do what he did. It could be a street stock, and it's hard to do. Oh, and then for he's sure. Jumping into a 350 super and just absolutely lit it up. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, it, there was no fear, that's for sure. But he wasn't reckless or out of control. He really drove it like he's been doing it for for years. And uh, you know, <laughs> he, I, he did. He he did a great job. But the you know the sprint car experience certainly would have helped that. I didn't realize he had any big car experience. I was thinking he came straight out of a go kart because nobody had said anything. Um, at least what I had seen online about him didn't mention anything mm-hmm. about the other cars. Right. So that's the first time hearing this. Which, I don't know uh, how much experience he has in the uh, the three or five sprint car but he sure looked like he had a lot I that's don't know for if he sure or not, yeah. but he sure looked good well um you know i think uh i think mike ought to keep him honestly i think uh him yeah and, me too him and sovis will win him some races so uh um you know it's fun and, and my brother kevin actually is uh part of that that team working with brian on his car and and uh fun for for him to do that he's enjoying it and um, yeah so um so now um you you got to race uh, the car for the first time last week, and I know that was something you had been dreaming about since you were a kid. I want to know, when you first went out onto the track, um, what were the first thoughts that were going through your mind the first time you strapped in and got pushed off and got out there? How did I get the tears to stop flowing? Because that's the first thing I did is I teared up coming out on the track. Wow. I was... Um coming to that track since I was eight years old and that's all I wanted to do. And I, all my racing heroes, besides the guys I raced at Lancaster with were from Oswego from Bentley and, um, Swifty and Champagne, Jim Cheney, Baldy Baker, oh, yeah. all those guys were my heroes. And I was on the same track, hopefully showing, uh, some speed, but just to be there. And, um, I was pretty much overwhelmed with, uh, just owning a super modified initially because it was such an exciting thing for me. And then sure. winning the race with Bobby, that was another. Um, racing there with my brother was another. But for me to be on the track was, um, as I told my wife, um, it was. I have a cup list. I don't have a bucket list. My cup list was achieved <laughs> with owning a super and getting to drive one. Well, there you and, go. And um, there's no real true way I can tell you what my emotions were other than once I got past the – the uh, tears, it was like I was in, there's nothing better than being in a race car. And I try to explain to people, and a lot of people will explain to me that have driven that when you're in a race car and you're trying to go as fast as you can, nothing else matters. So yep. There could be a World War Three going on, yep. but all you're doing is driving a race car and trying to make it go fast each lap. And there's no worries other than that. Yeah, and it's a just. Lot of people, 
lot of people can't say that. Even people that go out fishing, they're still got places where they're going to start thinking about life. And race cars, you can't. You just race. Well, yeah, because you don't have time. Your 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 conscious and subconscious are working at breakneck speed, even if you're only doing 100 miles an hour. You know, it's uh, it's just a complete focus. You're just so absorbed in the moment. Um, you know, it's uh, it's it's really amazing, honestly. And so, um. I mean, you, you, uh, how did you, I'm trying to think you, you, I think you finished the race or did you not? No, I did not. We had a battery that failed on us. Um, okay. I was, I was cautious. Uh, the biggest thing I wanted to make sure is that I was going to be on a, tra- hadn't been on a, in a race car in 20 years. So I wanted to make sure that I was going to be respectable and not cause anybody any problems. Right. And we did that on Friday. We got pretty comfortable and then we found a problem with the car prior to the heat race. And then the car felt a lot better. And then I got down to the 17 sevens, which was my goal to get into the 17s and then uh, run that way. So we were getting better and better as the feature was going on. And then we lost the battery. Ugh. So we had to pull in. And, um, but the, the amazing thing is Bobby and my, my friend, Mark Schultz, they both tried to explain to me how the car felt when you went in the corner. And I have never experienced anything in my life. What the G forces are like when you're, Going oh, into a corner with a, a 350 Super. Yeah. It's unexplainable. It's um, until you experience it, you don't understand. And it, it truly amazed me how long it took me to adjust to those speeds entering the corner. And um, we, we we got it pretty good. We still weren't fast enough, obviously, when somebody's turning 16 sixes and I'm a <laughs> 7, 17 7. But um, I give those guys. And I was by myself the whole night. I can't imagine. I just give so much credit to the guys that are out there racing side by side, making passes and everything, because it's pretty incredible feat for those guys to do that. And I think sometimes for people forget how tough it is to drive a race. Oh, car, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know that, uh, and and that's why when I watch Chase Locke, I mean, for being so young, and I know he's had all the you know the underclass experience, all that. Um, so he's, you know, these kids at, at 50 or 60 that have been racing for 11 years, that all counts. It's not, it's, it's not like you can't say, well, you know, okay, yeah, you're in a little midget car, a quarter midget. That doesn't matter. Yes, it does. It's all racecraft and mental training that you're getting. Um, and you're, you're just adjusting to the speed. It's incredible to watch him the way that he handles that car on the inside and the outside and doesn't appear the least bit, uh, out of control ever. No, no, that's the impression I got from him from the first time I saw him is that he is um, he's truly under control the whole time. Yeah. And he's he's a true both him and his brother. They're both true talents. They are. And um, and what's great, I don't know his older brother, but he and his father and his grandfather, this um, Chase is such a humble kid. He is. He can go a long way just because of his personality. I only spoke to him a couple of times, but. Anytime I talk to him, he's just he's just humble and grateful that he's there. You can tell. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. The Locke family is just one of the nicest families in the sport. And, um, you know, Ryan has had such terrible luck. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. Somebody, this, they got to find the voodoo doll because, you know, he's just... He he has the speed. He just it man. It's I feel so bad for him. Stuff um, breaking on him all the time. Well, or it, yeah, or he ends up in somebody else's mess. You know, it just it's one of those yeah. things. You go through those cycles in the sport, and you know, I and his, 
his younger brother thought he was having bad luck because he was finishing second all the yeah, time, right? Exactly. Well, then he, <laughs> I loved when he finally won a few weeks ago, and then he ends up uh, climbing on top of the wing and he breaks a bracket. So, like, you know, that was his worst luck of the year is he broke his wing standing on top of it to celebrate a win, you know. Exactly. So Everybody they, should have that bad of luck, they right? fix it. He comes back out on second. Like, <laughs> it's like unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. fun. That's that's a fun class. Now, we skipped over a part. I, I inadvertently, I didn't mean to, but you, you have Mark Schultz in the car the, the one yes. night. Um, and, again, I had no idea who Mark Schultz was, but, boy, we found out in a hurry. Yeah, his – his um, his family. I actually raced against his father, Gene. His father was a track champion at Lancaster like three or four times, and then he and his brother Dave, the other brothers, there's um, raced also. But his his brother Dave and Mark were very dominant on the dirt uh, pro stock series. Okay, winning uh, championships on the tour and owning Ransomville for a long period of time. And then I befriended Mark through a friend, and um, Mark was running a sportsman at a time and my dad was looking for somebody to drive a sprint car. And I hooked my dad up with Mark and Mark drove for my dad, um, for like four or five years on and off. And, uh, Mark and I became pretty close friends through the years. Um, and then he drove my TQ for a couple of years before he bought it from me. And, um, Mark's got talent and he's like uh, a lot of us, you know, not a lot of money. He's got two great girls and, uh, he spends a lot of time there with soccer and dance and all that. So, he bought that soup, uh, my TQ, so I owed him one. So I needed a driver, and we put him in a car, and and he did great. I mean, and he hadn't been in a big car in 15 years. So wow. to finish fourth the first night out was incredible. Uh, made his weekend, I believe, maybe his year. I don't know. But um, it was fun. It was a lot of fun to have a friend get in the car and do well and uh, met more than anything for me that he did well and had a good confident night. So it sounds like that Mark, because of his commitments, wouldn't be able to race every week then? Right. Yeah. Okay. And that's 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 too bad. Probably where we're that's where we're leading up to is uh um I'm I'm uh, a little particular on who I put in the car. We had Mike Nettison in the car at Seaconk and had a riot with Mike. He was a great guy, did uh great, great job driver. with my car. Yeah. We didn't have the best luck. We were pretty quick. But it wasn't the same. I'm uh, I'm a little bit old school where I, I want to have my friends driving my car. And everybody was so involved with life that uh, it was time for me to move on with the Super. And, um, you know, it was more than one reason, but that was one of them. And um, so we sold the car. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, uh, honestly, um, being honest with you, I, that's for me, that's like terrible news. Uh, and and I, I know somebody else is going to get, the chance to to come and race uh so we're not losing the car somebody bought it no no um, and i think you're gaining one i'm not 100 percent sure uh what's going to happen but i think it's you're not you know you're not losing one car to get another if you yeah. understand what i'm saying yeah so, so so um before we get to well actually first tell us who bought the car if you if you can if you're allowed to i'm not sure if i can or not i'm i oh. i'm pretty sure sh- i didn't ask him if it would be okay for me to announce who owns the car but it's a it's a gentleman up in the, the Fulton area, and so he'll be, uh, you know, campaigning it weekly at Oswego. So, wow, um, 
I wouldn't want to. I'm not trying to keep top secrets. I just don't want to. You're just trying you know, to somebody listens to this podcast more. and their wife doesn't know about it or a friend <laughs> knows about it. You know, it could be some trouble. What you don't want to do? What uh, Denny Hamlin did yesterday in NASCAR and uh, you know announce uh, a driver change no. for 24. No, I, the I'm not in that. I have a, I've know. gained a lot of friends in a short period of time at Upswego, so I don't want to ruin. Anyone of my friendships, oh, for sure. Gosh, we've had two of the biggest PR blunders in the history of our sport the last two days. Um, yeah. So uh, between that deal and the IndyCar deal today with Alex Pelo, Ganassi says uh, announces that they re- they picked up the option for the uh, the next season, and uh, Alex is like. No, um, I didn't authorize that quote, and that information's not true. I'm actually going to McLaren. It's like, oh, no. Gosh, I saw that. I was laughing. Not like Chip Ganassi ever gets a hold ahead oh, of himself at all. Man. Well, I mean, that's, it's, you know, again, it, it, both of those situations, that was the worst uh, example of PR in 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 modern history um, because, you know, you, you, there's a process, and you don't ever – do something like that without everybody signing off. And then yesterday's deal was like, you know, if Tyler Reddick didn't tell RCR that he was going to do that with Denny at that time, it's like, that is just such dirty pool. It was just bad. (laughs) Just like, Oh my gosh, this is awful. But anyway, um, so we won't, we won't uh, push, but we look forward to hopefully uh, having that car on the track and, and, uh, Norm, it, it just breaks my heart because uh, I know I'm not alone when I was say I was so excited to see the McLeod name back at the Speedway. Oswego is such a generational group of people. Um, and so, again, as I said earlier, Ron um, was was just so much a part of my youth growing up. Um, and then to have you and Tom and uh, and everybody come back and help the 350 class to sort of get its running start um, and to see uh, to see that car the 32 car the McLeod 32 car in victory lane um, at the classic so incredibly special for those of us who were around when Ron was driving for Jim um, mm-hmm. and just for 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 Jim and the Sewell family that you know that part of the the number two um, and uh, you know so we we really have just so enjoyed having you guys at, at uh, the track and seeing you guys run and, and hate to see you go but uh, certainly understand that uh, there always comes that point where you know you just kind of got to know when to to close the uh, to close the chapter yeah it's it's one of the um, one of the most emotional four days I've had in my racing life ever um, being able to drive the car and then coming to realization that things needed to change a little bit my son's going to college and um, Ah, um, you know, so we just got to be in a better financial position, sure. you know, to help him through it. And, um, probably the, probably the, um, probably the most disappointing thing. And hopefully somebody calls me up, but Hey, we need you to work on a car. I'll be glad to do it. I mean, I, I'm not afraid to make that trip back and forth. So we go every week oh, okay. and I haven't given up on that, but the biggest thing for me are, are the people that were involved with Oswego that made what I thought Oswego was all about come true. And it's people like you who love the history of it. And then you got the guys at the racetrack. Like, um, I mean, I think more people last year were happier for me than I was for me. Like Steve Joya and Jerry Rich 
and all the guys in the safety crew, Paul Calzone, all the all those guys just reaffirmed or however you want to quote it or paste it is they made me realize I was right about what I thought and what I dreamt of for Oswego Speedway. They made my dreams come true. And I think some people forget what they have there. And um, the friends I made in a short period of time, like Tim Snyder and BJ McDonald and uh, all the guys from the Snyder crew, all those guys took um, Jimmy Bodnar with the wings. Just everybody took me in open arms. And that's, that's as hard as it is. That's the thing that I'm going to take out of it more than anything else is how many people in a short period of time became my friends. And, um, um, I just hope people don't lose sight at that. At the end of the day, yeah, you're out there to win and compete. But at the end of the day, when things are over, you got to have friends at the, you know, in your life. And, uh, I think I added to my list this this couple of years. That's great. Well, um, we certainly uh, appreciated you and uh, everybody with uh, the team being involved. And um, yeah, I'm, uh, well, I'm sure uh, I'm sure if you uh, ventured up to a swigo and walked into the pit area looking for some place to work, uh, you'd probably have a long line of people going pick me. So, uh, you know, it's uh, if anybody's listening and needs a very experienced uh, crew member to help you out. Uh, Norm is available and willing. So um, working for food. Yeah, <laughs> you. Yeah, working for uh, Skip's Fish Fry every week, right? Yes, uh, Skip's yeah. Fish Fry. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's well, right. You, see, you got to get the sponsor plug in. Um, so, uh, uh, <laughs> am I able to say something real quick? Yeah, absolutely. You can say anything you want, sir, as long as it's family friendly. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, through the years, um, I've struggled with racing, and mostly because. I try to behave myself and not outspend myself where I'm broke. But um, right. there's a lot of people out there uh, racing, and sometimes they're they're not making their car payment. Sometimes they they're using a credit card to pay uh, the gas bill to get there. And um, what I hope maybe just one one person out of this message is able to help somebody. And a lot of people love racing and they want to get involved, and they they don't have the financial being uh, well being to uh, be able to throw thousands of dollars at somebody. But I've been through, lucky through the years where things were tight, where somebody just gave me uh, $25 for fuel for the race car when I was at the track, or they brought me a pizza, you know. So what I'm getting at is if you truly have a favorite and you see that he's struggling or somebody's struggling, anything will help from sure. $5 to dinner. You know, it's just anything that could, they can take that money and – put it towards the race car and you get them to the track, then you really achieve something that a lot of people haven't done. And I would hope that somebody hearing this message will say, you know what, you know, tell a tulip needs a right rear tire. Let's chip together and buy him a right rear tire. And, um, I think that would be, I guess my message to the fans out there and the people involved with racing, instead of being negative about car counts, let's see what you can do and chip together and help somebody to get a car to the track. Absolutely. uh, we, I do that when I wasn't racing. That's what I did with my brother. He didn't have all the money. He had four kids. So I, I supported him, but I also supported people, you know, with gas money and things like that. And I didn't ask for anything. I just wanted to see somebody at the racetrack having a ball. Well, that's, uh, that, that's so well said and, uh, not much more I can add to that. Hopefully everybody, uh, listens to it and those who are able, um, like you said, even if it's, um, you know, dinner, 
you know, or or $100 gas uh, card or, you know, whatever, whatever you can do. A tire, right. um, every little bit helps, especially now, because, mm-hmm. you know, I've said it on this show and you and I talked about it earlier. People that are that are going racing now, um, you know, are spending even more money than they were a year ago because obviously, you know, what's going on in the country and the world, everything's so much right. more expensive. So, you know, those uh those smaller little, you know, um pieces of generosity uh are really, really important now because it can be the yes. difference between um you know, getting to the track or getting home from the track. And I, I've told the story on this show before, but um, back in the day when the track was, you know, first going and, uh, you know, Harry Caruso was running it, Harry used to slip extra money into some of the guy's envelopes that came from afar, um, mm-hmm. you know, in order, just in order to help them to get back home. If they had a bad night and wrecked the car, he'd, you know, slip a little extra in there sometimes just to, you know, that's, that's what you got to do, man. You got to, everybody's got to do what they can. And, and, uh, you know, so yeah, every little bit helps for sure. That's, uh, that's very well said. Yeah. Mr. Mr. Slack up at, uh, Cayuga Speedway did that for oh, my yes. father multiple times when he was having troubles and he would say to my dad, see you next week, Dave. And he goes, I don't know. We had some troubles. We came, uh, when, in, when he went to the pay shack to get his money, there was an extra hundred bucks in there. And that yep. was back in the early seventies. So a hundred bucks carried a long, a long way. way for and, sure. um, my father never forgot Mr. Slack for that. Yep. And, um, that, and that, but that kept them coming. And that's, that's what we need to do is what we can do. You know, if somebody's telling me that they need help because their troubling was set up, I'll travel wherever and help them. I'm not the greatest, but I'll do whatever I can do and get them to the track. And that's, that's what, you know, we need to do is make sure everybody's getting there if we can. For sure. It's, uh, Absolutely. it's the best sport in the world. Well, Norm, uh, this has been a blast to, to have the chance to sit and talk to you and get to know you a little bit and uh, certainly appreciate you taking the time to come on. Uh, breaks my heart to, to see you guys going away, but I certainly understand it. And uh, hopefully, perhaps, uh, somebody will uh, reach out to you and say, hey, I need a hand. And, uh, you know, maybe the next time I get up there, uh, at least you'll be on somebody's crew. We can uh, hook up, say hi. Yeah, I would love to do that. Is there a chance I can say thank you to a couple people? You can thank everybody you want, sir. Floor is all yours. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell a short story. Um, my wife, last week we had a couple checks from sponsors coming in, and they just didn't make it in time. So um, we weren't going to race on Saturday just because we didn't have the finances to uh, get there. And so on Thursday I called my wife from work and said, hey, we're probably not going to go because those checks didn't come. And when I got home that day, my wife had pulled money out of her savings and said, you're going racing, damn it. Oh, wow. And um, I think the one thing I want to say is, even though everybody loves the racer themselves, the driver themselves, every every one of those guys or girls has a significant other or family that's really given up a lot for them to race. You got it, for sure. And I think uh, I just want to say thank you to every one of them, you know, just – um, if it wasn't for family, people wouldn't be racing and it, and it gets lost when things get intense and things are, you know, up at two in the morning, still working on the car and going to work at six and not seeing your wife for a couple of days because of that. And, um, if it wasn't for my wife, I wouldn't have been able to realize my dream in more ways than one. And, um, I just want to thank all the wives out there that have really sacrificed a lot to let their guys race. 
And Spot um, on. my, you know, I sound like a NASCAR guy now, but I got to thank my sponsors. There's uh, Press Express, and then there was um, Planner Fox Direct, and then Hollywood, Team Rusoff from Oswego area. And um, if it wasn't for those people, I wouldn't even race this year. So um, I just want to make sure I said thank you to those guys. They meant a lot and mean a lot to me. And um, I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss uh, working on the car. That's the one thing. But um, please help everybody out that you can. Somebody call this man and give him a reason to come back to the track the rest of the season, will you? Give him a give him a give him a wrench, give him a tire, whatever. Uh, but yeah, uh, exactly. See what they need. They might just need somebody. Believe it or not, there's times I've gone to get my neighbors to help me push a car in a trailer because you know my brother's busy sure. or Bobby's busy. So I go to my neighbors. You know, it it doesn't take much to get somebody to the races. Absolutely. Well, get them uh, get them back to the track. Uh, give them something to do. Give them uh, you know somebody uh, that out there must need an extra guy the crew so uh give give norm a call uh and uh or just uh reach out if you don't know how to get a hold of what do you want with norm how do you how does somebody get a hold of you what do you want to give me your email go ahead whatever you want to do you can get get a hold of me if you want Uh, it's uh norm n-o-r-m mac m-a-c 32 at gmail.com there you go help whoever i could norm mac 32 at gmail.com he is ready willing and able to come and help you on your pit crew so uh uh first first bitter wins basically um and uh so yeah somebody reach out to this no, no bitters just uh, feed me <laughs> well you you might get 10 people in the next 24 hours uh so you know i guess that would you'll be just, awesome that'll give me more of a reason to get back there yeah you'll just have to pick one uh but uh definitely a great time with you norm and uh again um thank you for everything that you did with uh you and tom and and everybody to to build the car bring it or you know buy it bring it and uh race it all this time and and the and all of the time that uh, you and the mcleod family gave to oswego and uh racing in general in new york state all these years and uh uh, I'm sure that I can echo uh, the thoughts of everybody at the track when I say, don't be a stranger, come back and see us all. So, oh, yeah, we'll definitely be there. And thank you to uh, Rich Worth also, because he's a true supporter of the 350 class, too. So he is he a warrior, needs man. to get some props. He is absolutely a superstar, that uh, that guy. Yes, he is. He is a superstar of, of the supers. Yes. Well, yeah, all the supers, it seems like. He's got uh, <laughs> one or two of everything. So, uh, yeah. you know, great uh, great friend and uh, and just a, a good man and, and a great supporter of uh, the Oswego Speedway and super modified racing in general. So thanks again, Norm, uh, and uh, we'll uh, talk to you sometime down the road. Have a uh, great rest of your season, and I'm sure that somebody will be in touch with you because I know everybody always <laughs> needs help. So, uh, uh, I'm sure somebody will call you. All right, sir. Thank you very much. I appreciate talking to you. You got it. That's Norm McLeod back with more of the groove after this. Is your job sucking the life out of you? Wake up. You can do something else. Information technology. I know what you're thinking, but I'm not a math and science person. No problem and no excuses because it's not rocket science. It's my computer career. Go to mycomputercareer.edu and take the free career evaluation today. You could start your new life as an IT pro in as little as four months. Mycomputercareer.edu, that's mycomputercareer.edu.
Welcome back to The Groove as we carry on with uh, the start of our final segment of the show. And again, just a little bit of a warning. This is a bit of a longer segment. Uh, Not that the other two haven't been, but uh, (laughs) we will be going through the uh, what's in the number segment and also talking about the Port City race as well. And interestingly enough, in a small sort of way, uh, we're going to talk about the same driver in both of these segments. First of all, let's do what's in the number. So uh, we are, again, if you're new to the show, what's in the number? We are we look at the significance of a different car number, which corresponds with the episode number of the show, uh, in Oswego Speedway and Super Modified History. So drivers have driven with that number and so on and what the uh, significance was and so forth. It's kind of fun. It's a brain teaser for me because I do not ever research i don't create a list before we start the show it's always top of mind and my brain's not as uh young as it once was it takes more frequent leaves of absence and so um i often miss one or two guys and when we did the number 90 i actually missed jack patrick who's using the number right now uh and so uh (laughs) occasionally that happens uh so we're gonna look at uh it's episode 103 we started with a number 36, so I kind of started this in the middle of the number sequence, right? So we've gone all the way to 99, and then for show 100, we did double zero, and then 01 and 02 and so forth, which, um, again, I'll credit Robert Metcalf with that. He said, why don't you just take the last two numbers, and then you can do all the numbers from double zero up to 35 that you haven't yet done. Great idea. So here we are at 03. Now... Again, I started going in 1973 to the track, so a long time ago. And I know that for at least a week, um, Eddie Bellinger was 03, so I'm going to throw him in there. But I think he actually, uh, when when I started going, I think he was using the 02. And... And uh, Steve Newman, I think the guy's name was, I know his last name was Newman, and I think it was Steve, had the 03, if I remember correctly, and it was a rear engine car and it had no tail on on it. It was, it literally was, you know, he had the engine in the back and then he had a bumper. That was it. (laughs) It was no tail section on the car. It was really a sort of a strange looking car in a way. Um I don't know that it ever ran all that well, but it was kind of emblematic of the sort of ingenuity and um, almost uh, Wild West kind of um, time that the Supermodifieds were in in their history where, you know, again, you show up on a Saturday night at the Oswego Speedway, you you could see... Um, front engine cars, rear engine cars, side engine cars, they call them mid-engine, um, indie roadsters, sprint cars. I mean, it, you know, almost anything that, you know, you had, uh, the Turner brothers would take the body off their modified car and run basically Gary Reichert raced a, a chassis pretty much race the, the frame of the car, um, it had body work on it, obviously. So it ran as a super for a couple of years before um, it was outlawed and they built a new car that was strictly a super. Uh, Joe McGarry ran one of those, they called them convertibles back then, where it was, you know, a modified to a super 
and absolutely destroyed it in a in a crash uh, back in that time. Um, so it was just a really, really, um, in terms of the, the look of the cars, I mean, you, you just, and, and, and most of the cars were home built. I mean, there wasn't really, uh, back then there wasn't really, I mean, Todd Gibson built several cars, but it wasn't as if, you know, he hung a shingle and said, you know, Todd Gibson Motorsports is open for, you know, for car orders in that time in 73, I mean, yeah, he, he built a few, um, Bill Height was building his rear engine cars. Bill was, I think he lived in Alabama at that time, but he, he, and, and again, that's the other thing to point out here is at that time in the, in the super modifieds history, there were tracks all over the country that raced them. It wasn't just like it is now where a Swiggo is the only weekly track and then you had star uh, or the only weekly track in New York. And then you had star and um, Sandusky or what do we got now? A Swiggo is the only weekly track now in the entire country, but then you've got the, the uh, Isma tour, the MSS tour. And then now you got the uh, new England super series, which uh, I haven't heard anything about as of late. Um, had Spencer Morse, their PR guy on the show a while back when they first formed. And then, um, since they rebranded, I haven't gotten anything. I haven't heard anything from them. So I know they, I think they ran a race, um, and just, I don't, I don't know. I, uh, uh, would love to have Spencer back on it. If, you know, uh, love to be able to talk about that, but I haven't got anything. So, um, but you, that's what you have now. But back then, uh, I mean, New York, I think we, we had a Swiggo and I, I don't know if, I guess there were still some other shows at tracks in New York, kind of like before the Isma thing got started every once in a while, a Lancaster or somebody, I think would have a show, maybe Fulton. Um, but there, you know, there were, again, there were super modifieds all over the place. Um, the Pacific Northwest had a huge you know, the Washington area state area had a huge, uh, you know, group of organizations or group of tracks, um, Michigan. And in that area, there was the TriSAC, I think it was called. Um, gosh, what did we have? We had, of course, you know, Sandusky would race on a weekly basis. Uh, there are other tracks in Ohio that would run specials, but you had, you know, you had drivers from all over the place. And, um, so it was really neat and they would actually, they were a part of speed weeks down in Florida, uh, in February, every year there would be tracks that would run them. So it was again, big picture here. It was a really magical time and it was kind of wild, wild west. So that, that, that quirky little rear engine car that Steve Newman had, which I think he built himself. I'm not sure. Um, and I, I can't remember if it was red or black, but I remember it being a darker color. I think he had a yellow O three on it. If my memory serves correctly. And I don't even know if he ran the full season, to be honest, but I remember him being there, you know, a, a good bit. Um, so that was the first O three and gosh, I'm trying to think because I don't feel like that number was, was used very much. It, it seems like it may have been for a good while one of those numbers that w- would 
maybe you'd have um it might have been used by somebody that would come in say for the classic as a number change and i i don't think back in that time but maybe a little bit later in the um i'm trying to think because skip Matzik always had the number three but i i feel like for at least a little bit when he was not a regular at a swigo i feel like when he would come in and somebody like a brad thrall or somebody would drive for him i feel like there might have been a couple times when it was oh three so i'm gonna throw the Matzik car in the Limblad back in that time because um i think we had by then you know you got into other people who are using the number three so um i think that that might have been the case and then i think you have to go um I, I think even maybe before that, uh, I'm trying to remember the timing of this, but I seem to think actually now that I'm working my brain over time here that Dick Batchelder had an 03 that was a show car and it was right after he got out of the Jack Tobin 21, which he was driving. He de- he He became the driver of. In 1976, you see the tie now, okay? And he happened to be on the cover of the program that we're going to talk about in a minute. Now, um, from there, and again, see, I think I think Batch had the 03. Then I think Skip might have used it a couple times after that when somebody had a three. Um. But gosh, I'm really not, uh, gosh, all the way through the like 90s, 2000s. I don't, I don't remember another 03. And, and I just feel like there's, there was one and somebody's going to like um, pull one out of the hat. But again, that's not unusual here. So I'm going to call that good for the 03 because I just don't, I don't remember, um, any other 03 now i know there was a race that brand uh, not brandon but jared bellinger raced at a swigo um and i and he and he had the crash and didn't come back and i don't know what number was on the car i don't know if it was an 82 you know because that's easy to do right you take the 02 and just put a little another little circle on top of it. it's an 82 or if they made it 03 or what but um so that might have been a possibility. I don't know what number he was. I wasn't um, at the track that night. Uh, but uh, that would be the only other thing I could think of. So uh, you guys can have fun with that if there's anybody I missed. And there, like I said, I, I feel like there's got to be at least one or two more. But it just wasn't a number that that, that seemed very popular. And, and I feel like, honestly, Dick Batchelder... That, you know, him and Newman were the first two that came to my mind. So sometimes you kind of say, you know, the 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 main history of the number was built by this driver. Like, obviously, with O2, it was Eddie Bellinger. Um, I don't feel like really anybody did anything real special with it. But um, yet, again, this little tie-in just coincidentally. 
from batch elder to batch elder we go. We'll close what's in the number and we'll start our conversation about the 76 port city. Now, again, we've been through two programs already. We've been through the opening day program, which was the original port city program because it was supposed to be opening day, May 16th, 1976. So that was the, the program that would have been handed out or sold for the original Port City race, which got rained out to May 30th. Then we went through the special rainout edition um, of the Port City program, which was actually part of a two-program set because the they did two programs that weekend because they had a spring championship on May the 29th, which Jimmy Champagne won, him and Steve Joya, furious battle in that one. Um, and Jimmy ended up winning. And then they did, they overnight, after that Saturday night race, they printed a rainout edition of the Port City program. Um, and that was sold the next day. And on, on the cover of that was Jim Cheney with both of the Nelson Powell, the, the one car, Nelson Powell Wimblab, one car that he was driving at the time, and the 30 uh, modified, which he was driving. Again, Don McLaren had suddenly vacated that ride. And so Cheney, who is supposed to drive as Don's teammate in the number two, I think, uh, ended up being, you know, they shifted him to the one, and he, he, he preferred the two and wanted to race the two. But and then there was the modified that they had. So since the Port City obviously is a double header, supers and modified sportsman at that time, he was going to run both cars, which he did. Um, he did not qualify for the race of the modified, but um, he did make the race in the super um, later. Now, um, at least I think we haven't gotten that far yet. Okay, because again, here's now this is actually. Uh, num- the fifth program of the year. This is program number five. Okay. <laughs> Dick Bachelor, the 21 is on the cover. Uh, and those of you who have been around a while will remember the beautiful logo that was created for the 76 season. that was on all the programs, um, supers of 76 with a big American flag and, um, a super modified kind of coming out of the flag. And then the, uh, the words Oswego Speedway in their nice uh, oval logo that was um, it just made that the programs in that season a little more special. Now, as you open it up now, again, this is May 30th, 1976. This is attempt number two to get the program in. Okay. Troyer declared winner of modified Port City event. Nice picture of Maynard Troyer in the car smiling. Um, Not a victory lane shot. It doesn't look like there's no checkered flag. So I think this was taken elsewhere, maybe in the pit area. But um, I'm going to read what it says here and then we'll discuss. Last Sunday afternoon here at the Oswego Speedway, we hosted the rained out edition of the Port City 150 championship for the modifieds and the super modifieds. And just like the first time we tried to run off this exciting program, the weatherman decided not to totally cooperate with us. However, before he sent us a light drizzle, which later turned into a light rainfall, 
we were able to get in a good part of the modified portion of the show. Now, again, it's the Port City 150, so 75 laps each is the total distance for each class. Declared the modified winner after 43 laps of competition was popular Maynard Troyer in the Nagel Ford Entry Car 6. At the time of the rainfall, Troyer and his potent number 6 were leading a hungry pack of modifieds around the big 5A smile track. Troyer jumped from his outside row starting berth to grab the early lead. On came the rapid Roman Richie Evans with his 61, and he gave challenge to Maynard. Richie really put all sorts of pressure on Troyer, but on lap 10, Richie was heading for the pig area with head gasket problems and out of the action for the day. Jeff Bodine then moved in on the back bumper of Troyer, while the 74 of Roger Treichler, the 69 of Jimmy Champagne, the 26 of Satch Worley, and the 2 of Ron Bouchard followed in close pursuit, all looking for someone to make the slightest mistake. Now, I'm just going to pause there for a minute. We'll continue with the rundown. But I want you to just, those again, those of you who've been around a while, and if you haven't, if you're a young fan and you don't know a whole lot about the 70s, that in the modified division, I mean, Richie Evans and Jerry Cook are in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Okay, and I mean, the, the, you just, just those names I just read. Maynard Troyer in the six. He did start a Grand National race at Daytona. I think he still holds the record for the most end-over-end barrel rolls with like 18 or something. Um, the crash is on YouTube if you want to watch it. I I cannot believe he survived it, to be honest. God was riding with him in the car that day. It's still one of the worst wrecks I've ever seen at Daytona of any type. Um, but Richie Evans ran the big tracks. The Modifieds had, they had such a thing. And, and again, if you've listened to the last two shows, and if you haven't, what is wrong with you? Uh <laughs> Go back and hear them. Not just because I host them. It's great stuff. Um, so, they, they, you know, they had uh, bigger track modifieds. And in fact, as one of the reasons why this Port City event couldn't be run the following week on May 23rd is because there was a conflict at Cayuga with a modified show. But also there, th- there was a modified race at Charlotte Motor Speedway on the big track that that figured into all of this as well. Okay. So you look at these guys, Maynard Troyer, Richie Evans, Jeff Bodine, who will never be in the NASCAR Hall of Fame, um, I predict, not because he shouldn't be, my gosh. Um, He brought power steering into Cup, among other things. And, but he will never be in the NASCAR Hall of Fame because, well, <laughs> he ruffled a few of the wrong feathers, I think. Um, and uh, so I think him and Smokey Eunuch are two names I don't believe you'll ever see in the Hall of Fame who should certainly be in there. Um, Roger Treichler from, I think it was Sanborn, I think. Um, no. He wasn't, where were they from? I can't remember, but the Rochester area somewhere. Roger and Merv Treichler were um, two of the, the, the great drivers from the modified era at that time. 
Um, they also had a cousin, I think it was Gordy. Was it Gordy? Um, that raced for a while too, but he wasn't racing at this point. Uh, Jimmy Champagne, of course, we all know the, uh, the best to ever sit in a super at the Oswego Speedway. Most wins in Speedway history, a record that will never be broken. And he did it over a 15 year period. Satch Worley in the Clarence's Steakhouse 26. That car is a, was a Southern car. Satch from Rocky Mount, Virginia had won the Port City in 1975 and Ron Bouchard was from New England driving the Bob Judkins Pino, which was a famous Judkins, one of the great car owners of all time in the modified division. And Ron Bouchard, we all know, ended up going to uh, making it to Winston Cup and winning at Talladega one year in a finish that we never got to see because uh, I think it was CBS that was televising the race and the picture went, went out. We could hear the audio, but there was no picture as he makes a three-wide move under Daryl Waltrip and somebody. I don't remember who the other driver was. And he ends up winning the race, and we never got to see it live in the moment that it happened because there was no video to go with it. Ugh. So, um, again, just look at those names. That's only, what did I read, six? Um, something like that. Yeah. Six cars out of the starting lineup. You'll hear the rest of the names later. We'll talk more. So here we go. Back to the rundown. They ran tight together, the top six cars, lap after lap. And it would have been a dandy run to the finish. But then a few clouds moved over the speedway, and it began drizzling about the 37th lap. By the 43rd lap, the track officials felt in the best interest of the competitors that the race should be stopped and await further action depending on the weather. The management, along with the fans, waited very patiently for over an hour before it became obvious that in no way is the rain, was the rain going to let up. Thus, with 43 laps in the record book, which is more than half the distance, the race does become official, and the drivers would be credited with the position they held at the time of the rain. Earning a $2,000 check for his 43 laps of racing was Rochester's Maynard Troyer with a sleek and racy car six. Jeff Bodine, one of New England's top hotshots, brought the Dick Armstrong Car 1 home for a good second spot finish. And again, those of you from back then will remember that car, the red number one new style Pinto. Um, some of the most, Dick Armstrong had some of the most beautiful. And again, it was just a red car with a white number one and new style written on it, which was his business. I think they were jewelry stores. Um Man, Jeff Bodine, Ray, Ray Hendrick. Uh, I know he had other drivers. I can't remember them all. But uh, just beautiful cars. Uh, Roger Treichler finishing third. Jimmy Champagne was fourth. Uh, Satch Worley finished fifth. And the balance of the field. Here we go. Ron Bouchard was sixth. Dean Hogue, who was just a youngin' at that time, was seventh. Billy the Kid Griffin in the 18 finished eighth. Gary Reddick in the V3 was ninth. Lou Lazaro, remember that name? The Monk, Lou Lazaro finished 10th. Roger Griffith was 11th. Jimmy Winks finished 12th. He was driving the convertible, by the way. The Turner Brothers, 18, um, I believe, at that time. Uh, let me see here. Wayne Edwards was 13th, Dale Murr's 14th, Bobby Murr's 15th. They, they were cousins, I think. 
Gary Cornelius, 16th. Chuck Siprich was 17th. And no, I don't remember what he was driving that day. Um, Bob McCready, 18th. Randy Hedger, 19th. Dick Cluth finished 20th. There's a name for you, Dick Cluth. Um, George Kent, the Duke of Kent from Horseheads, New York, 21st. Dave Kateri, 22nd. Davey Nichols, 23rd. Larry Groover, another one of those cool racing names, right? Larry Groover. Uh, Siege Fidanzo, one of the all-time greats from the western New York area. Ron Martin in that beautiful yellow number four he used to drive. Sonny Seaman, who I think was in his 50 car at that time, but I'm not sure he might have been in the Cal Smells 41 because he drove that a lot too. Norm Schmidlin, Richie Evans, and Donnie Croft in the 231. That car was owned by Tony Vecchio. Uh, rounded out the field. Now, the balance of the Port City 150 race, which was the super modified segment, will be run off this evening here at Oswego Speedway when 30 of the top drivers and cars of the country will take the green flag prior to the regular race car normally scheduled for this evening. So here's here's what I got to clarify here because I don't think I explained this right. So we're reviewing the pro, the the event from May 30th. Okay, we started with the Port City being scheduled for May 16th. The whole thing rained out. They couldn't have it the next weekend because it would have conflicted with a big modified race at Cayuga. Well, they didn't want to do that because they want to split the field for the fans. So they put it off till May the 30th, which was a Sunday. No, yes, would have been a Sunday, I believe. So the the day before, on the 29th, Oswego ran the spring championship for the Supers, which made a really nice, would have made a really nice doubleheader weekend if they'd been able to get the whole Port City in. But while that was going on, the big track modified guys were here in Charlotte, not far from where I'm sitting right now. We're here in Charlotte at the Charlotte Motor Speedway running a race that paid like seven grand to win or something in 1973. Figure that out in today's dollars. Probably like $7 million with inflation. Um, but uh, so those guys, some of them, you know, came, <clears throat> excuse me, drove all the way. Bodine, some of the others um, had their short track car ready for Oswego and, um, and, and got there and, and raced. And then, and then only got 43 of their 75 into the super portion rained out. So now we're into June. This is where I'm going with this. Now we're into June. So we started with a May 16th show. We're now into June, and we still haven't gotten the super modified show in yet. Okay, so um, just going to pick out some things about this program here that kind of relate. Not going to spend a ton of time on it, but um, I'll read the editorial because, again, that's kind of the official word. Um, I'm sure you're all sick of hearing about the weather, but lately it's the most important thing in racing. The idea is not to beat your competitor anymore. It's to beat the raindrops. We beat the rain last Saturday night and got our spring championship 75 lapper off under cloudy skies, but Sunday was an entirely different story. The gates were opened in the pouring rain, and by the time it stopped at 1 o'clock, there were better than 80, 80 modifieds and supers of the pits with a fantastic crowd, both, both grandstands. Oh, the days. We made a gallant attempt at getting the entire program in, but halfway through the modified feature began to rain again, and that was all the racing we were going to do that day. This sets up another doubleheader program of racing 
tonight. The twice rained out <laughs> Port City 75 lap Supermodel 5 main will be the first on tap. Ronnie Wallace, the defending track champion, oh, by the way, is on the pole by virtue of his heat race win a month ago <laughs> on Saturday, May 15th. An interesting situation now also exists that cars that were originally qualified for the show but were not here last Sunday for the first rainout attempt and were subsequently bumped from the starting field by the Concy cars will now be allowed back into the show and they will bump the last qualifiers from last week's consolation. So again, if if just to picture you're sitting in the grandstand on May 30th, which is a Sunday. Okay. This whole thing started actually, and I should, should clarify that too. I, I, I have it correctly. The first time started on Saturday, May 15th was the original date. Well, then you have, or I guess it might've been, maybe this is an error too. I don't remember which happened, but regardless, this thing has been rained out twice. So on May 30th, you're sitting there, the supers run a concy and you've got a few guys that weren't there. Now, Bentley Warren was one of them because Bentley was running in Ohio in a big five race. They called it the middle. I think the Ohio 500 and middle Ohio 500, whatever it was, Ohio 500, I think is what it was called. Bentley was down there running that series and there were five shows at five different tracks, I believe, over the course of like a week. And Bentley won four. So Bentley got bumped out of the, the field that he had qualified into on the 16th by the Concy that was run on the 30th because, of course, you assume you're going to run the feature that day. No Bentley. Um also, the 78 of Dutch Hogan, the 35 of Johnny Logan were two other guys that were there for the first attempt, but then weren't there for the rainout. So they, they put three cars from the Concy into the field. Well, now we get rained out again and we're into June. And now if they're there in the pits, Bentley Warren, Dutch Hogan, Johnny Logan are all on the show and the three cars the last three cars that qualified through the Concy two weeks earlier that thought they were in the show are now no longer in the show because the original three are there. Do you see how convoluted this gets? This is why I did this as a mini series. I don't think most people, I mean, obviously if you like me, you were a part of it all, but I don't think a lot of our newer, younger, you know, folks here understand that the, <laughs> The absolute chaos. This race didn't want to happen. Back to the editorial. After the 75-lap Port City feature, there will be a 20-minute intermission to enable the competitors to prepare for a regular evening of heat, semis, concy, and a 45-lap feature. So again, think about this. You're in the grandstand. You're going to get the Port City 75-lap feature. Then... You're 20 minutes to, you know, go get a Hoffman hot dog, some fries and a chocolate milk um, and and chill out for a little bit with your friends in the grandstand. And then we're going to do an entire program of heats, semis, Concy and the 45 lap feature. That's 
I mean, unbelievable, honestly. Uh, let's see. In addition, we will be emptying the background stand of spectators since we are allowing all Port City 150 rain check holders to view the supermodified 75 from that position free of any additional charge. The management felt that any person who bought a Port City ticket and sat through two rainouts deserves the right to see the remaining part of this doubleheader without being forced to buy the additional ticket for the regular show, which was kind of cool. Now, they, I don't know if back then, for example, they staffed the back grandstand concession just for that short amount of time that evening or whatever, but they did open it long enough for if you if you bought a back grandstand ticket for the port city they let you go ahead and sit there for that part and then you had to come over to the main grandstand um i think for the um regular part of that night uh believe me we have tried to do our darndest to bring you the race fans the best possible port city race and with the great cooperation of both competition divisions we felt that we have considering the weather the modified field was comprised of 46 of the best modifieds around, and some of them drove all night to get here from North Carolina, which incidentally was called at the halfway mark because of rain. <laughs> the super modifieds waited patiently for a chance they never got Sunday, so they'll be out tonight in full force, racing for a total combined purse of $18,500 and triple points. Double in the port city and single points the regular feature. A complete point breakdown as to how many points each feature is worth is printed elsewhere in the program. One more note on tonight's port city feature. I must say, it, 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 I mean, because again, in context of last week's accomplishment by Mike Ordway Jr., one more note on tonight's port city feature. All cars must turn a warm up lap of 19 and a half seconds in order to start in their own position. That's exactly five seconds slower <laughs> than Mike Ordway went last week in the silver mullet. So there you have it. Um, let's see. So um, Jim Fruito's racing review actually had, uh, first of all, he mentions again back in 1976, Todd Gibson was racing an IndyCar. Gary Albritton, uh, Dick Routh had bought an Indy car and built a team for Gary Albritton in 1975 to qualify to run Indy and, uh, and, and qualify, <clears throat> excuse me, for the Indy 500. And unfortunately, Gary had several crashes with the car, so they um, they they took him out. They put uh, I think Jan Opperman in for the for the Indy five. Um. And then in 76, Todd Gibson, by then he was the, he was the crew chief in 75, became the driver in 76. So I'll, I just point that out because that was really a, a cool opportunity. Um, actually, uh, uh, this talks about the 500 where Opperman ran. I guess that would have been 76. Yeah, that's true. That's right. This all would have happened. All Britain was supposed to race in 76 because he had run a Swiggo in 75, won the Classic. That's right. So after that year where he drove for Ralph at Oswego and did so well, not only here, but all over the place, Ralph bought the Indy team, sold the Super, incidentally, to Tim Richmond Sr. 
for Tim Richmond Jr. eventually to start driving, which I think, gosh, was it Daryl Harrison that drove that car at first? And then I think they built a twin for Tim Richmond to run. And that was Tim's start in racing. And again, uh, look what that all started. So I point all these out because these people don't understand how in the 70s, the super modifieds were so relevant to big time racing, both Indy and NASCAR, even way back then. So here is uh, Opperman racing the Indy 500 and went from 33rd to 14th in the car crew chiefed by Gibson. Okay, and um, so I guess, uh, okay, I was wrong. So Opperman um, was was behind the wheel of it, and um, uh, but Todd did end up, maybe it was in 77, Todd did end up racing the car uh, for a while. I don't know if they ran all the races, but he ran several with it. So I thought I would point that out, and here's something else that's fun. Now, you got to keep in mind, this is back in 1976, um, Jim Ferlito, by the way, who, who, I mean, most of us know Jimmy, um, who wrote this column, he was working on the program at the time, but he, he was, uh, the, the PR person for that team at Indy. So, um, here's some Indy notes from Jim and, and it leads to some stats. I'm not a big stat guy, but sometimes they're fun. So. He says, and remember, this is 1976, nearly 50 years ago. Have you any idea what a great and complex spectacle the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is? Here's some of the behind-the-scenes facts that may just amaze you. Indy operates more or less as a city with over 4,000 people contributing to the entire operation on race day. There are 1,700 people working on traffic and safety around the facility, over 250 firemen and 20 pieces of moving firefighting equipment are on the premises ready for action. There are no amateurs involved. All men involved with firefighting having to have extensive experience. There are 138 restroom attendants and it takes up to 10,200 man hours to clean the restrooms on qualifying and race days. I bet it does. Incidentally, over 150 cases of toilet tissue is used, coming to about 4,795,200 feet in distance. You know, just painting a four-inch white line all the way around the Indy racetrack requires 75 gallons of paint plus another 25 for the yellow lines on the track. Over 16,622 gallons of Coca-Cola were used during the month, and over 15 tons of hot dogs are consumed, which would give you a hot dog link of 125,000 feet or 22 miles long. The grass itself is something else. To cut the grass at one time would take 540 hours. That was back in 76, and I don't think the crowds were, I don't think you were getting 300,000 people back then. <laughs> Can you imagine those numbers? My goodness gracious, 15 tons of hot dogs consumed. <laughs> Man, um, that is, some of those numbers are just staggering to think about, but it really gives you a perspective. Everybody thinks 
operating a racetrack's easy. Well, um, not so much. So um, Bert Pitcher was the meet new driver. Remember, remember Fang? Um, Bert's um, in the court, and and I didn't realize uh, back in those days I was young, but Bert was only seventeen when he started, and I and and had to to have his parents' approval to start racing, and now we got. Chase Locke, who has been racing since 50, we've had a number of, you know, uh, 14, 15, 16-year-olds um, racing at the track and um, keep getting more. I don't know exactly how old uh, Joey Hawksby's son Talon is, but he's got to be somewhere in that age range, I would think, 14 to 16. Um, and I think he's fresh out of quarter midgets coming to the 350s, so... Um, that'll be interesting. But anyways, Fang was the, uh, featured, uh, new driver. He, um, purchased the, uh, Roy Murphy Shamrock 13. Um, and, uh, he raced that. So, uh, and then I think, uh, then it went to Joe Hawksby. That was Joe's first car, I think. And I think that was after, uh, Burt Pitcher had it pretty sure. I think that's how it went. So he was in there. So I'll read a little bit of Ivor the driver here. I'll just read the whole thing. It's not all that long. Um, and again, keep in mind, this would have been for the program in June where we are coming off the half completion of the Port City 150 on the 30th of May. Ivor starts with, it seems like we're never going to get this Port City event over with. I agree with some people who say modifieds are a jinx. They always bring rain. They better not bring any classic weekend. Remember, we read a few weeks ago in the opening program, that was the first year they moved the modified 200 to the Saturday night of classic weekend. That was going in for 1976. Most of the modified guys, Iver says, are so shell-shocked this spring by the weather, they, didn't even know, they don't even know what trend is up. Take Jeb Bodheim, for instance. He was running second at the Charlotte, North Carolina Speedway race when rain forced the delay in the eventual calling of the show. Dick Armstrong, Jeff's car owner, left the small block car home and took the big block car to North Carolina. They dispatched the small block car to Oswego and Jeff and several mechanics started up the road from North Carolina to Oswego with the big block. They were running in heavy rain and fog all the way. Now, again, any of you have made the trip, from here to there, I've made it way more times than I could count. And I love it, actually, getting in the car and driving, but not in rain and fog, right? It's 10 hour, It's it's about 750 miles somewhere in that general vicinity. It takes about 10 hours if you don't stop. Um, so they're trying to drive through the night after being at Charlotte all day, racing, and they they're driving through heavy rain and fog, they were not making good time, so the mechanics took Jeff to the Washington, D.C. airport so he could fly into Syracuse to make sure he'd be at a swiggle on time. He was, and the good thing they did for the big block car never arrived until Jeff was stopped on the track in second position waiting for the Oswego rain to stop. It never did, so Jeff got another second place by virtue of the weather, which the same spot he finished at Charlotte the night before in the big block car to Daryl Waltrip, who is running in the modified. The big news of the week, says Ivor, is that Warren Conium, after being with the Salve Car 04 for some four years, has quit in favor of father-in-law Doug Sire's new car, the 1975 Kemp Dates car. 
They are building a new motor for it and should be ready to go in a couple of weeks. Their new number will be 52. There has been no definite driver named in the 04, although the name of Baldy Baker has been raised. Boy, would we like to have seen that, huh? Conium was scheduled to compete in the 04 for the last time tonight. Uh, Ernie and Bob Jr. are scheduled to return tonight with their new supermodified Roadster. As we announced before, Flying Brian Osgood will be the driver. Now, Brian was a modified driver from the Southern Tier who is famous for his beautiful yellow 09 cars. Um, Brian had a, a super modified at one point in the earlier 70s, I think 72. Sold it after year, had terrible. Ran really fast, just had terrible luck with it. Sold it, I think Daryl Peckham was the one that bought it. Um, let's see. And uh, so Osgood was making his return at that point to Oswego, for Ernie and Bob June in their beautiful yellow 59. Jim Muldoon has purchased the old 59 car. You'll have some help from Ernie and Bob in rebuilding the front end, which was heavily damaged at last year's Classic. Muldoon won't have it ready till Classic time. I don't think that ever all happened. I never saw him in that old car. The 68 that you heard us talk about with Ron McLeod was not that car. That was a car that Muldoon drove for Nick Virgo as the 23 in the earlier 70s that he had bought. And I think he bought it, I think it was for 74 or 75. Um, I guess he bought that for 76. And then I guess he bought, supposedly bought the, according to Ivory, bought the Ernie and Bob June car too, the older car that they had been racing for a number of years. Um, But I don't think either that I don't think he ever brought it out. Let's put it that way. I don't know if he ever completed the sale or took possession of it, but he I don't believe he ever brought it to the racetrack. Um, the engine that Dick Bouchelder blew in the warmups last Saturday night was brand new that night. Can you imagine? And again, folks, <laughs> this is why I say, you know, you can discuss car count. It's OK, but don't be careful with that. I mean, you know, these these things are expensive. And even back then, um, you, know, you, bring it in, you bring a car out, brand new motor, it blows that night. It was a big bore Chevy. It cost over four grand. Now, that was back, again, that was 76 money, okay? Um, a lot of money in 76, four grand. Uh, by the picture in last Sunday's program, you could tell there wasn't much they could save out of it. Uh, pretty expensive hot lap period. He never even got out of the hot laps. Dutch Hogue underwent knee surgery last week, and filling him, filling in for him last Sunday was Jimmy Winks in the Modified. That raises the question of will Winks now drive the Turner Brothers Super until Dutch is ready to go again? We know the answer to that question was no. In fact, Baldy Baker, who was rumored to be in the 04, uh, ended up driving the 78 Super for a week. And then, uh, I don't think we saw it again, um, I think Bobby Murs ran it in the classic. That was it. Uh, let's see. Jim Cheney ran out of fuel in the Nelson Powell number one car after making a good move through traffic and getting all the way to fourth. He says, however, that he wants to drive the number two car on a permanent basis. That would leave the number one car vacant. Uh, last, last week at Delaware, that's in Canada, Jimmy Champagne got a stone down one of his injector stacks and... It resulted in the loss of the engine. He had another smaller engine in last Saturday night, but you could hardly tell the difference. 
We understand that he has purchased a dynamometer and has set it up in his garage to test and tune his motors. This could mean that little extra power more than the next guy. His predictions for the port city of 1976 were... Jimmy Champagne to win, Eddie Bellinger second, Johnny Logan third, Ronnie Wallace fourth, and Steve Joya fifth. And he predicted that for the closing feature, again, Jimmy Champagne to win, Kempton Date second, Bentley Warren third, Denny Wheeler fourth, and I think it's supposed to be Freddie Graves finished in fifth, I'm sure. I don't think he was picking Ron Graves. Um, There's some pictures in here from the modified part. Um, I'll read the you don't say there's four of them again for those of you who don't know you don't say is basically a candid shot of somebody um, and then a funny or an attempt to be funny captioned below George Keenan who is co-owner of the 35 car that Johnny Logan drove arms crossed very serious look on his face says George Keenan another wise crack like that and I'll deck you one two Next to that picture is one of Jim Cheney with kind of a funny look on his face. As in, haha. Says Jim Cheney. Ooh, touchy, touchy. Just because I beat his car 35. <laughs> Says Nolan Swift, who is strapped into Freddie Graves 38. Talked about that last week. He hot lapped it, never raced it. He's strapping into the car. Some folks are helping him. Says Nolan easy guys don't tighten those belts up too much remember these bones are old next to that a picture of baldy baker who is not in a fire suit talking with johnny logan baldy's smiling baldy was always smiling especially when he had a budweiser in his hand says baldy baker johnny you're not going into the third corner the right way here's how you should go in johnny kind of looks like he's looking at him as if to say yeah right uh okay so what else Cost Cicerillo, a man behind the machine. He was working on Mike Rizzo's car. Um, Ron Wallace, Denny Wheeler. Pictures of them. Driver's better half. Doris Carista, Sammy's wife. I think I read that back in the Sammy tribute uh, episode. Outstanding individual was Steve Joya because, of course, of the spring championship race with Jimmy Champagne. Um, so uh, some talk of that and a picture of Jimmy Winks. Um in the cockpit of the 18 modified that I talked about earlier. Uh, Ronnie Madison had beaten Steve Joy in a hotly contested heat race and um, shows a picture of them racing together and uh, then discussing purportedly afterward anyway, um, discussing the race. Um, What else? Picture of Norm Mackrath splashing through the water to go out onto the track for some event. Um, splish splash is the headline there. Um, the big question was what would what would be your thoughts of a full fledged USAC championship car race at a Swingo Speedway? So basically, what they're asking about is what if the Indy cars that was what you what USAC sanctioned Indy at the time, and that's so basically. Well, if the Indy cars came to a swiggle, how do you think they would get around? Um, say, as compared to the supers, I won't read all the answers, but um, most of the drivers were um, either intrigued or 
not so much intrigued, but pretty much all of them speculated that they wouldn't uh, be as nimble as the Supers, which, of course, would be correct. Um, current Super Modified points, Jimmy Champagne was leading at that time, 300 to 230 over Steve Joya. Kempton Dates, 225, was third. Denny Wheeler, fourth at 187. Freddie Graves was fifth at um, 177. Um, and then the interview with Dick Batchelder, who had just started running a Swiggo regularly in the Tobin car. I won't go through all of that just in the interest of time here. But um, so again, as we wrap up this week's Port City installment we still haven't gotten the super race in yet and we're into june we've been through two attempts to get the race in and uh still hasn't happened so the program i just went through would have been sold at the third attempt with the Port City 75 being the first race and then the second, uh, the whole race program regularly scheduled for that night would have been the second race. And keep in mind back then it was heat semis and Concy plus the feature for the super modifieds. There were no other weekly classes. Um, and so when you, when you get to retro night in a couple of weeks, the first Saturday in August, and they run heat semis, Concy and feature if they even need a Concy, probably won't. Um, that's that's why they do that on retro night because they're throwing it back to before there was the SBS or the uh, 350s. And back in that day, it was just supers, which was really amazing. And 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 we had, you know, a bad night was 30 cars back then. <laughs> you know, there were. It was it was just a glorious time to be a super modified fan at that time, and and I'm so grateful to have been a part of that, um, and got to and I'm grateful. I've said this a couple times, but I'm grateful I got to experience it as a young young kid, you know, five, six, seven, eight, you know, ten years old through that period of time, whatever. I'm so grateful I was that age, and the reason why is because when you're that age. Everything is so magnified. You don't know anything about really the cost of cars. You don't understand like all the negative things that, that, you know, would, you know, all the money, you know, all of the, the sort of stress points, right? You don't see any of that. You're just, you're just sitting in the grandstand with your parents or whoever you're with. And you're just watching all these cars go screaming by you. With all this color, and at that time, all these different shapes and and origins and all these drivers who are larger than life to you, and you're smelling the the, the hot dogs and whatever else, and your your the methanol is burning your your nose and your eyes, and I mean, it's and you and you got Pete Trinka. You know, and his infamous whistle, which I cannot do. Sorry. Um, but, you know, programs here and, you know, what do you say, shy? You know, um, all those those things. Uh, back then, um, the American National Anthem, the Canadian National Anthem and, and Jack Burgess, you know, and now let's go racing with the first qualifying heat of the night. Oh, I mean the hairs 
you know, on, on my, uh, on my, my arms would stand up. Right. I mean, just when you're young, you just don't, you don't see all the, I mean, obviously you see crashes and that's scary. Right. Um, and we're going to soon be talking about one of the worst fires in the history of, of the, the speedway at some point, uh, we it, it came to dates. Um, and you know, if you want to know a little more about that episode, gosh, what episode the Kempton dates episode 10, I think, uh, it, that's where he details, you know, his whole career. Um, but just, uh, just an incredible season. And, and like I said, the modifieds with all those names that I mentioned, um, it, it just was a beautiful time to be a young wide-eyed, totally, you know, focused race fan and nerd because I always wanted to read the programs. Like, I, that's why, you know, I, I talk so often about how these older programs mean so much to me. It's because it, they're not just sort of mementos. I used to sit, I, you know, again, I used to, that was the thing, go to Carson's as soon as they came in. And and I could get there on on Wednesday or Thursday whenever they the Speedway Press printed them and and delivered them to all the newsstands. Um, I couldn't wait, and it wasn't just to look at pictures. I read that thing cover to cover. I probably know all the words I was looking at, but but I I I knew most of them, and I and I just was so the whole thing was just such a. And I know that so many of you that listen to this podcast. It's the same, you know, you each have your own perspectives depending on your situation and how old you were. And, you know, um, of course, you know, somebody like Larry Trinka, you know, with, with Pete, um, and, and that whole side plus being involved, you know, in, in the pits with cars and, and all of that. And, and, and now Larry with the two Joya cars that who's still, you know, in, in Tennessee, where there are no longer any super modifieds except for one, Kyle Edwards. He's based out of Memphis, runs the MSS tour. Imagine that haul from Memphis to Oswego to run the the wing show. Imagine that haul, what that costs today, just in fuel with, with the price of gas. Okay, so, you know, but but Larry... You know, still keeping uh, keeping the history alive and educating new fans um, about super modifieds and and those days. He's got the joy of Chevy from that era. Um, you know, or it's Robert Metcalf who was you know related to to the Cole Carson clan. So I know Robert always enjoys it whenever I talk about Frank Carson and Carson's news. And you know, just all of you that listen, you all have your own kind of you know history, right? And in just the how lucky. How absolutely lucky were we? How blessed were we to have lived through that era? Um, so we will um, we will conclude the <laughs> Port City uh, mini series on the next show, episode one hundred and four. And I will give you a hint: we finally get the super modified portion in. Um, and again, there's a plot tri- twist. So we'll talk about that on next week's show. All right. So please allow me to thank our sponsors one more time. JNS Paving, Rich Worth, uh, and his team, 
Uh, Skip's Fish Fry with Groff's Pub, Sean Cathcart and his staff, and of course, Jeff West, and all of the fine folks at um, Indie Performance Composites, IPC Indie. Grateful for each and every one of you. Thanks to all of you for listening. We are going to close this out. Uh, until next week, have a great week, a safe week of racing, everybody. I'm Tom Baker. So long. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indie creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit racechasermedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliates, or marketing partners of Race Chaser Media. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.